All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you, ladies, gentlemen, and everything in between. We are here for another version of the Fight Sites panels. In this case, we're hoping to focus on the issue of commentating in mixed martial arts and other combat sports. So there are a few questions that we would try and want to get at, discuss, explore, pull apart. Questions such as what's the purpose of commentary in sports and how commentary in combat sports differs from commentary in other sports, what are common complaints people have with commentary, which include complaints from listeners, fans, analysts, and experts, what consequences do we get from bad commenting, such as false narratives, myth creation, so on and so forth. And we might dig into an exploration of some of the people on the panel of how we do commentary, alternate commentaries, criticism of existing commentary, things that can be worked on, so on and so forth. So with that in mind, I think it's probably best if we start by introducing each of the panelists, why they're here, what they hope to talk about, what points they want to hit. So I'll mention myself last. First things first, uh, resident Tengri Dome analyst, podcaster and personality, two men. Could you give us a bit of a spiel about yourself? Uh, well, uh, presumably if you're listening to this, uh, you probably know who I am, but uh, for... The sake of clarity, I'm uh, the, uh, stated. I'm the host of Tengridom, which is a podcast that deals with. It's mostly a fight, a fight, a fight analysis stuff, but I also venture outside the scope of analysis to comment on some of the uh, institutional issues, so to speak, uh, concerning MMA. And beyond that, I also write on occasion, like maybe once per five years. But yeah, uh, that's basically it. I've been uh, kind of. Uh, <laughs> I had to take a bit of a forced leave for a while, and now I'm trying to get some of my mojo back. So, uh, hoping to contribute to this panel in a meaningful way and not just meander for hours and end. Excellent. So, we're a bit like the British Broadcasting Corporation in that we have a policy of one in, one out, don't rock the boat. And as Dan Albert couldn't be with us here tonight, we've got another Dan, the lovely Dan Tom. Could you please uh, introduce yourself, provide some context? Oh, man, I wish Dan Albert was here, but uh, it's great to be with you guys um, and, and see you guys or in Hax's case is uh uh, sad girl holding a sujat looks like from my from my from my perspective my eyes are bad as you can see um no it, it, it's great to be here always with you uh, to talk with you guys um some of the best discussions uh, come through this podcast feed through these panels you guys do um i know this is one we've all been wanting to do for a while so um as crazy as our schedules are i'm i'm, I'm glad we were able to squeeze this time uh because it should be hopefully useful to to all of us um i myself one day would like to hopefully commentate and hopefully not make the mistakes or and do the things that you know we're gonna go over in this podcast so hopefully this is again a useful tool for all all right so let's uh who, who wants to speak next who wants to regale us with some tales and plans you can go right okay so if I'll briefly talk about myself so i sometimes talk about combat sports i follow way too many sports that have commentary in them and i as a i suppose a professional economist uh, occasionally i write about how ridiculous combat sports is from a labor market perspective and since ben threw me under the bus i'm gonna throw him under the bus now ben please tell us a bit about yourself um hello i'm ben i am the resident grappling department 
head guy uh, for the fight site. I am uh, undefeated as a fighter, which is really not saying much considering just a couple of amateur fights. Um, but we had to have two zero. We couldn't two have a, we zero. Couldn't have That's a pro. undefeated. We didn't have a pro, so we figured two AMI fighters would, would like maybe combine together like the Wonder Twins, so we could just be enough. But um, yeah, um, I don't really watch a lot of sports actually. I watch um, mostly combat sports, so my um, focus will be on a lot of my focus will be on the differences of when I do watch. Um, you know, major sporting events like the Super Bowl and other, you know, games with friends and whatever it is, um, I noticed the stark differences in what they bring to the table and what needs to be improved in the MMA sphere. So that's kind of where I'm going to be going at it from, the angle coming at it from. Well, I suppose as far as introductions go, and then there was one. Uh, hello, everyone. This is Fenyo from the fight side. Uh, so I'm mostly an MMA analyst. Uh, I have a few Muay Thai fights, if we're talking about experience. Uh, and I I talk a lot. I make uh, a lot of alternate commentaries, and I also have uh, been pretty critical about the, the commentary in MMA. I think it's, it's a very important thing to discuss when it comes to to introducing the sports to new fans and and making sure those new fans understand the sport. And I think that's where I think uh, a lot of us will agree. Uh, there's, there's some lack in quality, but I think that's why we are all here. So, so why don't you, why don't you give us like some, some lead up hacks? Right. Oh, so I suppose that does point us in the direction of the first big question. If we're going to talk about commentary in the context of you know, generally combat sports or more specifically something like mixed martial arts, then we kind of need to start by understanding what's the purpose of any commentary in sports? You know, we have to ask questions like, is the purpose to entertain? Is it to inform? Is it a mixture of both? Is it other various ideas and questions? So I think that's the first question we're probably all going to try and give an opinion on. And uh, as as our non-fight side guest, Dan, if you, you'd be comfortable giving your opinions first, try and give us an outside perspective and maybe something that some of our listeners haven't heard before. I'm sorry, I was chewing. As far as outside perspective, like uh, in comparison to where other sports and where maybe my perspective comes from as far as attacking this topic, is that what you mean? Not just that, but also I think an outside perspective to the fight site. Obviously, the worst thing mm. we want to do is only bang on about our list of uh, problems sure. and critiques. Sure, sure. Um, I think one of them was obviously in the outline um, that you you uh, laid out, uh, both behind the scenes and in front of this episode, um, which was, and I, I want to be careful about the word of misinformation, right? But there's so much information from stuff that doesn't have to do with the commentators, but does play um, as far as how they have to play the game, which is visual stats, production. That's kind of more on the production side, but kind of falls within this realm and falls within this message of kind of, again, I, I'm reluctant to use the word misinformation here, but uh, I believe you used a better word for it as far as how it amplifies certain narratives, uh, certain ways of thought. 
and certain rules are interpretation of the rules, even if the information they are giving is factually incorrect. If you actually go and read the criteria yourself, um, obviously this is a, this should be a main one kind of on all our lists. So I, I'm I'm just gonna go and roll with that one first because I think that's also the one that gets us a bit more reactionary. I know Fenya was saying like, hey. I've been critical. I think we've all been critical and that's more than fair to be critical, but you know, to be fair about it is to unpack it. And I believe we're being more than fair um, by doing these sorts of panels that you guys do here at the fight site. And you kind of get, try to get different people outside of yourself for perspective as well. And, and again, if I didn't make it clear um, I've been competing in some form of martial arts since 92 uh, since I was a little boy and I'm recently getting back into it and I do um, analyst work from a junkie where I have to watch a ton of fight tape um, for my work so not just the live in, uh, ingestion whether we're talking about like Ben was mentioning you know the occasional big big uh, you know big sports sporting events like the Super Bowl or whatnot or the basketball the NBA that I kind of grew up and gave me a love for commentary you know seeing the Bob Costas is the Marv Albert getting that kind of at least from a Western perspective, top level commentary exposure to compare um, to mixed martial arts. But yes, uh, as I circle the drain before I spin too wide a web here, um, we complain and react a lot, all of us and, and the general we, right? Listeners as well to a lot of the things that we're like, hey, that that's incorrect or that's not necessarily right. And there are a lot of things where like there's opinions that we probably differ on opinions and effective techniques like me and Fenyo maybe disagree with something in the clench or me and Ben maybe disagree with the half guard point. And that's that's totally OK um, to disagree with those. And, and we can talk about those. But I think it, and I think speaking for you guys, which I want to hear you guys uh, weigh in, I think it's more important the factual things, whether we're talking about um, how a fight is scored on the criteria or um, the subjectivity to an effectiveness of a, of a technique, which of course can go with the commentators, you know, commentators bias. I don't, I don't watch enough sports to be like, oh, well, this guy was a de uh, defensive uh, defensive end. So of course he's uh, going to be, you know, know that position better and give more love to it in his commentary with a parallel in MMA is DC likes to pressure wrestle, right? So any guy pressuring and wrestling, you'll hear, see DC go, yes, this is what he needs to be doing, whether it is or it isn't, right? So um, I think that that's what kind of peeves and reacts a lot of us. So I'll bounce it back to you guys now. All right. So uh, I think to try and, you know, hit on discussion that's organic as possible, I'm, I'm going to stop leading people into it now. Like if you want to go for a bit of free for all, give your own opinions, go ahead and um, let's get rolling. Um, speaking as someone who, who really only focuses on combat sports, I'm sure, I'm, so I think you realize that most of us actually do that. Um, when I watch football, um, I, I know football, you know, you, you grow up with it, whatever it is, but there are a lot of people who aren't fans of football. And then they go to these Super Bowl parties just for the sake of going to the Super Bowl party. And when they watch the game, I've never noticed any single person say, oh, I understand how football works if I don't know how football works when they're watching the game's commentary. And the reason why is because you're watching the Super Bowl. The people who are watching the game religiously, the, 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 like the people who follow football every single week, don't want to hear, okay, so there are 11 people on the field. There's going to be one quarterback, a running back, a fullback. You're going to have these linemen, and then you have these defensive linemen, but they're not the same. That's not what they're explaining to you. But in an MMA fight, you're going to get, okay, so the full guard, you might actually get an explanation of how the full, what the purpose of the full guard is. The way commentary should work is that it gives in 
fans who know enough about the sport, the knowledge to be able to explain the, the you know, the fans who already watch can explain to you how football works. What the commentators are there for are to explain how the game works on a level that elevates your understanding of the sport. Now, of course, you're going to have, you know, it is the media, there is entertainment involved. So you're going to have that mixture of Skip Bayless with real analysts who, who like Max Kellerman for, for boxing, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure he's good. I don't actually know. You know, I bet, listen, is he better than the whatever the equivalent is in MMA? Well, yeah. Far, far, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> so my point is that the the problem with this sport is that you will have people who watch week in and week out fights from start to finish, every highlight, every uh, after show, all of those things, and yet still unfortunately don't have an, an actual understanding of what they're watching because they're not being informed of any finer level of detail that's happening in the cage and it's it's not pushing for that elevation of fan knowledge because unfortunately we're not getting that kind of feedback uh, not feedback uh, you're not getting that direct line feeding to it um so that's kind of my issue um, with commentary there are obviously specific examples but like you'll just one right off the top of my head Cruz constantly talking about more than anything how oh he got the takedown so he probably is going to win like he'll prompt that every single time and it's no disrespect to Cruz I understand that that's an, an integral part of his game so of course he's like you said man he's going to have that kind of bias towards it so but you're still supposed to be informing the fans of how scoring works yet you're doing the opposite you are misinforming them of how scoring works and what should be around a side or around stealer. So yeah, I'm gonna uh, pass it off there. I'm I'm gonna talk next. So uh, now that we are already talking about uh, MMA and commentary, I think one one thing that's important to consider here is that, for example, I, I grew up watching football, actual football, not like the thing that you Americans call football, <laughs> but um, the, the big difference uh, to consider is that when you watch sports, uh, like big sports, the broadcasting company is not the same company that it's putting on the game, you know? And when you watch the UFC, the UFC is handpicking their commentators for their own product. So they get like very specific instructions. They don't have the, the liberties that an external broadcasting company would have. And, and I think that that has been very important in molding how commentary works in MMA because it, it is like that for most companies like Bellator also uh, chooses their commentators. I one of C does. Yeah, all of them do. So I think that the UFC uh, number one concern is growing up the sport right now. And, and that's why they are so concerned about uh, always like talking about the basics of the sport, like, always being like new friendly in a way in a way that uh, all sports don't do because they don't have that agenda but also because they don't need to because uh in, in the USA everyone knows how basketball and football works i mean american football and outside the USA everyone knows how football works so uh commentary for example i, I watch a lot of i used to watch a lot of tennis uh commentary usually pretty technical uh, some things that even if you watch a lot, if you have, haven't played ever, uh, you wouldn't understand. But that's okay because it's for because you can still watch the 
the match, you know, even if you, if the commentary is not like completely geared towards your level of understanding, you're still able to watch the game or the fight. Uh, I think the oh, another thing to consider is that when it comes to commentators, the number one quality is not uh, how how much you know about the sport, how uh, how good your takes are. Uh, you have to be a good broadcaster. If you don't sound good, if you don't have the charisma, you're never getting the gig because that's the one thing. Like you have to make it appealing on a on a visceral sense. Like you gotta be switching the channels on TV, for example. And if you hear someone that doesn't sound right, uh, it can be alienating. It's that's a, a fan that you're losing on that moment. So number one quality, for example, and and the UFC is very good at choosing like good broadcasters in that sense. Everyone in the UFC sounds very good. The, uh, the fighters, the the color, com- the play by play, everyone. Like for example, Mike Goldberg, uh, obviously the the butt of the joke for a lot of years, but incredible broadcaster. Like he was very entertaining. He always he made mistakes, but it wasn't mistakes that were uh, getting you out of the experience. So, so yeah, I think those are two things like we should consider when critiquing uh, the UFC commentary in a specific... It's really about a balance of things, as you said. And I think um, there's um, the trick is finding the right balance between uh, being an entertaining broadcaster, having an entertaining team that has great chemistry with each other that uh, make the sport, that enhance the viewing experience. However, the broadcasting team must also have... Uh, a level of knowledge that would uh, allow the viewer to, uh, well, uh, to uh, would allow them to explain what is happening on the screen accurately, in a way that doesn't mislead the audience. And uh, in that on, in that respect, the and partially because, uh, well, not partially, primarily because of the reasons that you just explained, the promotions pick their own broadcasting teams. This has led to some uh, to to moments where the broadcasting team would start directing the narrative of the fight instead of just uh, narrating what is happening they would try to steer uh, they would try to take that raw data that is happening on the screen and when they convey that data they come up with a narrative and they interpret it in a way that would cause the viewers to interpret it in a way that is perhaps different from what is happening on the screen and uh, since and I think that partially stems from the fact that, uh, as you said, the promotions are very concerned, and the UFC in particular is very concerned about trying to grow the sport, trying to be uh, newcomer friendly, trying to bring more eyes to the sport, and that's why they go over the criteria every time. That's why they go explain the same positions over and over again, despite the fact that perhaps by this point, someone who regularly watches fights would understand what a half guard is, what a left hook is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so um, in that concern, perhaps they may have oversteered in the direction of trying to explain what is happening over and over again. And because they're not accounting for bias amongst the broadcasting team, this leads to narratives growing around fights that permeate to this day. Because as a sports viewer, uh, for example, if you watch football, if you watch uh, football, football, aka soccer, you don't go back and review, uh, rewatch the matches. That's just people kind of don't do that. You, you watch it live, and that's the experience you get. And so many people who come from other sports, 
into MMA, they don't go back and review the tape. Sometimes they miss a fight and they go, okay, I missed the fight and then I'm going to watch the next one. They don't have time to do like to be like uh to do the same thing as dedicated fans do or analysts do go back and rewatch the fight and then uh, uh try and clear up the misunderstandings that may have developed viewing live because if you're watching live you watch this for entertainment you may you may be high you may be uh, kind of tipsy you may have had a few drinks maybe you're tired and watching this uh, late in the evening so this leads to misunderstandings and uh, the commentary adds to that misinterpretation by trying to steer the narrative and so yeah i think that that's uh, uh that those are my concerns for the time being and i'll try and get into it more in depth uh, down the line and so uh, please offer your feedback all right so to add some of my general observations on commentary in sports i, I would say there's kind of two or three things we've identified one is kind of the structure or the market in which the company that runs the sport, the broadcaster that runs the sport and the commentators that do the commentating operate in. There are some sports out there where commentators and the people that host the game, if you like, own the production content. There are some sports where it's all owned by or basically controlled by one entity, the way the UFC does it. And that can have a really significant impact on the incentives. Obviously, as a few of you have pointed out, a lot of commentators, because they're essentially hired by the UFC, they are incentivized to push certain narratives for the UFC. And that can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing. The two specific observations I would have is number one, I think that there's what I would say a particularly corrosive or toxic cultural narrative in MMA that you can't entertain them and form at the same time. That you can't educate people on new ideas or new concepts or teach them to think more deeply in a way that's fun. I see that a lot of people essentially espouse that opinion. I think that's false. You absolutely can teach somebody deeper knowledge in something while they still enjoy it. And I think that's a real purpose of commentary to find a way to teach people something about a fight or about a sport or about a game or about teams every time you listen in, but to do that in a way that's still engaging and informative. The other point that I would make is, and this is something that Fenno pointed out that I really want to highlight, because so much about sports is a question of either, are we explaining the rules and the basics of the game to you? Or can we assume that you know at that? Something which I think really complicates that matter for mixed martial arts compared to something like, uh, let's say, soccer. In soccer, there is an objective, easily verifiable measure of who's winning the soccer game, right? Who's leading? Who's got more points? So any idiot who knows almost nothing about soccer other than, oh, this person's, this team's got two points, the other team's got zero points, they're winning, can jump right into that and have a good measure of who's winning, who's losing. Because we don't announce scorecards until the end of a fight, and because in almost all combat sports, you know, the fight can essentially spin on a dime, you know, somebody just gets clanged and gets knocked out when they've clearly been controlling the whole fight. I think there is an additional element of difficulty for a combat sports commentator compared to other sports commentators. The one purpose of commentary in sports is to tell people who's winning and why they're winning. And when a sports competition can literally spin in one second, that becomes a much harder job to do. But I think now we're all kind of collectively bleeding into the second question, which is essentially in what ways does combat sports commentary differ from commentary in other unique sports. So 
again, to throw it back to all of you and anyone can jump in this time, what unique challenges do you think a combat sports commentator faces? So let's say DC or Cruz compared to somebody who is commentating in a traditional sports space, something like basketball or football. Um, I think that's one of the things that really, really is a hindrance. Um, and it's a barrier to entry also for a lot of people um, to becoming a commentator is that you have to know enough about the sport to be broadcasting about it on national television, right? And there are a lot more people who know a lot about traditional sports. And also there are a lot more players like that could also be, be you know, explain it and do it well and are eloquent because they have to coach a hundred people or whatever it is, like hundreds of people over the course of their career. Um, they have to be able to convey these messages to other people in an effective manner. So of course you're gonna have so many, you know, identify like identifiably great um, people who can explain this on national television if they can just do public speaking well enough. Um, so in MMA, which is a much more niche sport and a lot less elite competition, a lot less people who can speak eloquently to choose from um, or have the personality for it. It's, it's, it makes it so much harder. So the pool you have to choose from are the well-known enough coaches or some commentators who came up from the early days and are still around, obviously, um, or ex-fighters. And there aren't that many ex-fighters who are going to be able to necessarily do this well enough to do it live. So that right there is a massive hindrance um, to the talent pool. And obviously we're not all gonna just, we're not here just to criticize for the sake of criticizing, right? Like there are amazing moments and instances of analysis, um, drama, and like the, the honestly horrific nature of what was going on in the cage being conveyed um, in moments where like you have Paul Felder screaming for the, like for the ref to stop. Like that's a visceral reaction that we have to process while we're watching. And Paul Felder being able to convey that to the audience in such a visceral and meaningful way, that's a genuine moment of fantastic commentary. It, it, and he, he, you know, he's also a fighter that does help. So he's feeling as much of what's going on. So he understands that feeling. So he knows, so he has that moment to, to share it. So there's a lot of great things that the commentary has done. And we are going to acknowledge that, but we're also criticizing the parts that could allow for an improvement of commentary for the experience for viewers and fans. Yeah, I like what uh, Ben's saying there as far as, um, <clears throat> you know, we're not criticizing for the sake of criticizing for sure. Uh, I will say something though, that some of the points that are setting up this point um, have been acknowledged by the broadcasters themselves as far as the mm -hmm. UFC uh, kind of, uh, you know, um, filling the, their own positions, acting like their own commissions. They kind of do all the regulatory roles, all the broadcast roles, all the production roles. It's it's kind of a, that's been their thing. It's been kind of the things they've worked with their deals, right? And even John Anik, who himself, who, uh, you know, I, I don't know your guys' opinion on the guy, but uh, if we're of all the commentators, I imagine, you know, we all like J.A. and think he does a great job. And he's, you know, one of the, you know, uh, one of the best in our space easily. We're lucky to have him, yada, yada, yada. Um, but um, even he said himself, you know, he, I believe his official degree 
pardon me if I'm getting this incorrect, but he's broadcast journalists. And he, was, he said multiple occasions, I had to turn in my journalist card as soon as I signed with the UFC because now I'm working for a promotion to the point of what you guys are talking about. I mean, he, the man acknowledges this himself. So um, th th this point that we're bringing up to set up is very valid. And I will say that when you do watch in comparison with the other sports, and which again, my references are from the 90s for a reason because I haven't really been keeping up with other sports as MMA took over kind of my life the past couple of decades or so. Um, but uh, you know, you, you do see that difference of being critical, right? And you have to think that like, okay, maybe this guy played for this alma mater. So there's that, that kind of like, which I don't know, I went to a community college and I never got a degree folks. Like, uh, I don't know what that kind of camaraderie is like. I'm sure it's real. I'm sure it's genuine. I'm sure it's strong. But what I'm trying to say is that playing for a team or an alma mater, whether it's college or professional team, you were in a certain class, a certain era and everything, including the coaching staff at a slower level as you get it up get cycled out so it's roughly new body so it's essentially that name and that logo and there's a bunch of different names and logos right there's a bunch of different professional teams there's a bunch of different professional training camps um even as mma has grown uh and we went through our big camp era um it's not necessarily the same it's not apples for apples we don't have teams right it's an individual sport at the end of the day but at the same time you could argue especially those of us who have trained in this and that and you see that as far as the bleeding over of, you know, not, not to take this route, but the hive mind like of, you know, like, wow, I never thought, you know, this many people would maybe think this way, whether, you know, about a political thing or not, you see that influence that kind of really strong kind of brotherhood, which, you know, again, I'm biased. Again, I, I wasn't in the, the sports programs folks, but I can speak for the, the martial arts side of things. And there is a tightness there. There is, there is a bias, you know, from whether the more traditional side uh, of, of sporting martial arts, like wrestling and, you know, having those wrestling biases, you know, um, that you'll hear like, you know, guys like DC shout and stuff, which is totally fine. Not taking a shot there to the biases of, you know, the MMA gyms. And I feel like that bias you guys spoke of, it's harder to cut because not only is the hiring process and the dynamic completely different, right. From, you know, you got to turn in your journalist card, so to speak, if you are an actual broadcaster, which uh, I believe Fenyo was saying, it's an actual skill you need. It doesn't matter how good you are. Um, you need that skill. And I think our best version that we had of that was Stanek, Brian Stan and John Anik. Um, in my tape study, I, I, I try to keep it, you know, short and sweet. I don't do the deep dives uh, like I, I used to do early in the day, earlier in the day. So I don't go back uh, as time goes on. I hear less um, Brian Stan, but I suggest people go back and listen to some of the commentary from that era, whether you've heard it or not. And I'll let you guys weigh in on this, but I feel like that was some of, as far as the UFC uh, is concerned. And again, this isn't just UFC, this is MMA. I don't want to, just like we're not just criticizing, we want to give up. So we're not just talking about UFC here, but just for the sake of things, uh, I feel like that was their best team because they both had the broadcast savvy to be able to be critical like other teams, you know, and again, even other athletes. So there's that thing, there's that saying of, it's not just me being anecdotal. I mean, how many people from the athletes themselves to the journalists covering and go MMA athletes are really sensitive and you have to navigate that because again, the UFC is making, and they're completely deserved, especially the former champs. I'm not, not hating on it, but it is a barrier to entry. Like Ben said, when you make it only, you know, 
only UFC fighters. And then when you're their active UFC fighters, um, they're getting called out, you know? So you have all this bias and dynamic at play that you don't have. I hated Bill Walton in the NBA. He was the most two-sided commentator. He'd be like, Scotty Pippen, terrible defensive player. Pippen with a steal. Like I said, fantastic. He knows how to use those arms. And I, I hated the guy. Oh, I hated the guy as an eight-year-old Dan Tom. But, but he, and I imagine he pissed off a lot of the players, but you never saw the players go, yeah, where's, where's your defensive remark now, Bill? You know, coming up to the booth, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't have, like, Emma, as cliche as it is to say, it's true, man. As anecdotal and unscientific as I sound, that's fine because it is true. It's just a different sport. You're having to deal with different type of athletes that are more sensitive and there's more biases and there's not as much um, rules or tape for these biases that, are, you know, and, from inherent the athlete themselves to the promotion that's supposed to be regulating these things because they're playing their own regulators they're playing their own third-party inspectors so you've got a jumble pot of of the bias that you guys have done a good job of kind of talking about and i think that can hinder it and influence it to where one of you mentioned earlier rogan will go on his narrative thing and in rogan's defense the reason why rogan was rogan is because he did what one of you guys so brilliantly you said at the podcast commentary should be able to inform you whilst entertaining even the lowest kind of subsection of your audience right it should be able to do that um and be able to scale upward from there but at a base level it should be able to do that rogan did that but now he kind of goes on the narrative thing and now we essentially have a bunch of really talented analysts that have all that each have different strengths, but now it's more of the game where, Oh, I hope DC and Rogan aren't together because they get on it. And we just see that kind of a lot of them influence, even when Rogan's not there, you'll see even really good analysts like uh, Felder. I love Felder, but I feel like we're picking on DC, but you'll see Felder do some Roganisms because he likes Rogan. Right. And you kind of see that spread. And I feel like we've gotten real far from Stan, uh, Brian Stan and John Anik, which again, I think was our best shot at that medium, um, which is hard to achieve given the way the UFC set things up. Uh, the one is just one quick two and just one quick anecdote, just to hammer home what Dan sure. was saying from my fight after I, I TKO'd the guy, I'm freaking out. Cause like, holy shit, that was a miserable experience. And the, the weight cut. So I, I'm, I have all these emotions. I'm screaming and i hear the commentator go unbelievable and i'm right there i turn around i go directly up to him and scream at his in his face you're goddamn right it was that doesn't exist in in, in traditional sports it's not possible so just to hammer home that point like we're that we're we're so much more affected by it and i'm not putting sorry not we're they're so much more affected by it than 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 any you know player in a different sport could ever be so it's a lot more challenging you're right the one sad thing I would like to point out, and uh, as Dan Dom said, uh, it's not about just the UFC, it's about MMA over overall. And the UFC is kind of like represents this, uh, as much as we can rag on the UFC, it still represents a good balance of things. It still offers the best commentary, I think, uh, amongst all the promotions, because especially when you compare it to something like One FC, for example, and uh, I bring it up because I... Uh, every once in a while, I tune in to watch One FC because I want to take maybe a break from the UFC, or maybe because there's just isn't a UFC card on, and there's cool Muay Thai fights on, you know, going on in One FC, uh, etc. Basically, all the normal reasons why you would choose to watch a different promotion. Um, and so, when you 
we talk about how the UFC breeds these narratives, how it uh, engages in hyperbole. When Rogan and DC get together, it all goes downhill. If you compare it to 1FC, 1FC is basically like an extreme version of that. All they do is hyperbole. Everyone is a multiple-time world champion. Everyone is the best in the world. We have a trillion viewers, and uh, we have, we get views from Alpha Centauri a uh, hundred uh, hundred thousand years from now on. They still watch us, and uh, the well, it's it's like the UC is like a self-contained bubble within which it exists and dictates all the things that happen within it, including hiring, including uh, contracts, uh, the pipelines uh, from feeder leaks, uh, yada, yada, yada. 1FC is like a more rinky-tink version of that. And as such, it, it, it is able to directly influence what the commentators are saying and how it is promoting things. And so you get things like, it's like, Almost like Mitch Chilson and Michael Scavello have these instructions to, at this point, you will say, at this point in the fight, you will say such and such thing. You will have a list of pre, like canned, pre-prepared statements that you are contractually obligated to say. And if not contractually obligated, then at the very least strongly compelled to say. So they can clip it, put it up in the promo, and put it up on YouTube and have a, like a, a a video with an embarrassing thumbnail and like uh, <laughs> shocked emojis when a guy get, gets knocked out and it's kind of like distasteful <laughs> in, a way, in a way and the one thing that I don't like the UFC kind of like this bleed over of the way that uh, 1FC for example runs their social media and so lately we started getting these uh, commentator booth reactions to knockouts to submissions and such and while it may be entertaining short term, it may be cool to see the commenters go <gasps> in when you zoom out and think about it, okay, what if someone gets injured very badly? What if someone gets concussed so bad that they fall into a coma and get a brain bleed or whatever, whatever, all these horrible things that may happen and have happened to combat athletes throughout history. Boxing, kickboxing, all these combat sports. And then you put it up on YouTube and there is a video of uh, the MMA, the lead leading MMA promotion putting up uh, and their commentators going, ah, like it's a YouTuber thing, like reacting to, uh, to funny fails or something. And there's a guy who just laid out on a stretcher being carried out of the cage. How does that reflect on the sport? And like, I get the idea and I think... Uh, the higher-ups at either WME, IMG, 1FC, uh, they kind of over-focus on the short-term uh, viewership gains over long-term perception of the sport, of, of the reputation of the sport. Because, like, um, again, the 1FC is like an extreme version of that. It's like a, a parody. I would put it this way. If... 1FC was a false flag operation ran by the UFC to discredit other organizations in how they present themselves. 1FC would be basically it. It's, you don't have to change anything. That's it. And the UFC kind of looking at it and trying to kind of take what works in their mind from that organization. I don't think it's the way to go. The other extreme is Bellator, <clears throat> where Mike Goldberg and uh, uh, Big John McCarthy 
frequent criticism of the UFC commentary. DC and Rogan get in the cage and they start just podcasting <laughs> during the fight. Instead of commenting, co talking about what's happening in the cage, they start prattling on about whatever. Oh, and then like in 2018, I met with this guy and uh, we went out and got po boys uh, at, a, at a diner or something. Bellator. <laughs> Bellator. Big John McCarthy uh, and um, uh, Mike Goldberg. And there's the cage could be on fire, as Jack Slack said. And Big John McCarthy would be starting like going on on the spiel about in in 1986 I met with the wife of the guy who's currently in the cage. Oh, and as we're speaking, he's being knocked out anyway. And <laughs> like, so what you're saying is that we have the Bellator podcasting network playing liar as Rome burns and one FC latest card edition title name dabbing on literal corpses. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the, the, the UFC has the potential to move away from it all and actually represent the sport as a professional sport. And here they are taking stuff from the, both those organizations, those extremes, uh, that's a lovely dog, by the way, Dan. <laughs> and uh, okay, so this might get them some a, a couple of thousand more views on YouTube by post uh, posting the, the the reactions of Joe Rogan going, "Oh my God!" But <laughs> but how does this reflect on the sport long term? Is my concern. Real quick, uh, yeah. I blame I blame two girls one cup for those reaction videos. I think it just came full circle because didn't Rogan popularize those back in like 2007? And now it's just it's it's come full circle to just kick us in our ass. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, essentially, talking about talking about Rogan and reactions and all that, um, I think a big part of that comes uh, because sports create a culture around it, and MMA being so new and the UFC being so large and by far the, the biggest promotion, it molded the culture around MMA. And companies now, um, WME, IMG, and ESPN are trying to, to make it look more professional, but they cannot strip the, the identity that was, was forced by like really silly stuff like like Dana White, like personally picking face the pain, or or Joe Rogan being the commentator for so many years, are things that um, mold the sport in a way. Um, they attract some a certain kind of people, um, but also like the kind of people that because MMA is like the represent the like the highest representation of fighting, and fighting uh, means like something very special in western culture if you want to call it like that i i think it's a bit different i mean i guess two men can kind of speak a bit on that uh on the on the eastern side but but yeah i mean for example in tennis like commentators are very cool and and tennis games can be very exciting for someone that is a fan of the sport but they still very cold and then they have those little moments of hype and another thing that's very different in tennis is that they let uh when it gets very tense very intense um they they let the the game speak for itself mm. something that rarely happens in mma uh if something big happens in mma uh the the picture that comes to mind immediately for a lot of us that 
have been fans for a long time. It's Rogan speaking the top of the song. Oh my god! And, and that's like I expect that to happen because I've seen that for so many years, and I think uh, the rest of the commentators are inclined to to replicate that. As as Dan said earlier, uh, Felder, you can tell Felder is like a big fan of Joe Rogan, and uh, he tries to imitate some of his strokes. Um, and some some of that can be good, some of that can be bad, but but I think it's hard to to approach. MMA commentary from another angle because uh, because everyone is trying to imitate the UFC and the UFC is it's marked by those early years. Um, also, to bring back what Ben said, uh, on the early years, very hard to get like competent commentators. Like for the time, like Joe Rogan was pretty good. Like he had uh, minimal kickboxing experience. He had the taekwondo experience and very no- knowledgeable about uh, BJJ at the time. I think for right now, if you have uh, like a more humble Joe Rogan, that's like a great like uh, like a play by play because he's very good at describing what's happening in the cage. Uh, the problem is that he's not in that position. He's a color commentator and he's like the expert there, and so he gets to create the the narratives around fights, uh, around fights, and and like. So I think. Uh, I think it would be good to see more, more especially in the color in the color position because we have Anik that it's very good and the new guys that the UFC have been getting in the in the play by play position have been pretty good I would say, even if they they get too much in like the friendly banter with the fighters like to to create like that chemistry, but. In the core position, I, I say it would be very cool to see more, more commentators that have an identity of their own. And I think Brian Stan was like a very good, a very good step in that direction. Not only because uh he was like immensely well prepared, knew the sport very well, he did his homework, he was great all around. But even if he wasn't as good, I think him having his own identity that wasn't Joe Rogan copycat was very important. And uh, Dominic Cruz, for example, is another guy that has like his own identity. Even if I don't agree with the with some of his commentary, I, I think I have some criticisms about what he says that are very molded by the by his own experience with the sport, with the judges, with game planning and and the like. But I think he's another one that it's it's like doing his own thing. I think it's important to have. Um, more different voices. Uh, I think. Uh, I think in the broadcasting sphere, uh, they are they are confusing. Like having having a personality with being like hype and hyperbolic uh, and and that kind of stuff. I don't. I don't know what you guys think about that. So I think speaking from my own perspective, I I would kind of point to two or three things about combat sports and then two or three things about MMA. In a combat sport general sense, uh, this may offend people that play other sports that aren't non-combat sports. The stakes are higher. And And as far as I'm concerned, when I mean stakes, I mean life and limb, quite literally. Can you be badly injured or killed in something like American football? You absolutely can. Is there a risk of suffering life-altering injuries from a tennis career? There absolutely is. None of those sports require you to, you know, in quotation marks, win a contest by 
physically, you know, beating the other person into unconsciousness or an inability to fight back. So when you're a commentator, and I think if you're trying to be a conscientious commentator, you have to keep that in the back of your head. The stakes for getting a wrong call are higher. That can play into a number of different reactions that you've all highlighted. That can play into an element of hype. That can play into commentators being, uh, how would I put it, less confident in letting the sport speak for itself. That can play into commentators screaming at the refs to stop the fight before somebody ends up, you know, in a stretcher for life, so on and so forth. So I think that's the big one. The stakes in terms of what's gained, what's lost, what's at risk is higher in a sense. And I think almost all commentators in combat sports do understand that if maybe they, you know, have their strengths and weaknesses at communicating it. Another point that I would point out in combat sports is that because combat sports involves violence, essentially legalized AOK'd violence, it's always going to be more fringe than most full contact sports or most other sports by definition. And as a result, I think if you want to think of it from like a development perspective, almost an economic perspective, combat sports have taken a bit longer to get to a higher level of mainstream relevance than something like soccer, American football, rugby, cricket, whatever. What that means, I think, is a lot of combat sports, but especially mixed martial arts, are hitting a level of relevance to the average person at the same time as social media has really hit relevance in the it's, lives uh, of, you know, average people. Sorry to just, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to add that both social media, MMA, and also video games have coincided in the era during which uh, they all started developing in its uh, uh, in earnest and i think you might like offer some feedback exactly on that observation ah uh, yes i think i think i might actually tackle that in, com in consequences of bad commenting a bit more but that's true. We have the gamification of violence, but we also have sports like professional video games that are played so often and so quickly because you don't have to risk breaking a knee and you can play anyone in the world and you can record games and so on that other sports are showing us we're moving more towards an instant gratification era. So the culture of combat sports, but especially mixed martial arts, in my opinion, is shaped very much by the social media generation by uh, more of an instant gratification, by a hype mechanism, because that's what gets you clicks on Facebook. That's what gets you likes on Twitter. And, you know, ultimately, what is the job of a combat sports athlete? It's to get paid, right? Like, let's strip all of the bullshit that, you know, GSP love him, but it's bullshit about a higher calling and dinosaurs and the beauty. No, it's to get paid, right? Like, if you're not getting paid, you can't fight. So, You've got to play to this market if you want to get paid. You have to play far, far more to get attention, get clicks, get hype if you're a fighter. But that's also true for a commentator because you're covering the sport. And I think that's led to a more fragile era of competitors, which some of you have pointed to. And it's led to an incentive for if you're a commentator and you say, maybe you say something like, uh, I, I'm not a fan of the way that Usman has developed as a fighter. I think he could have done some things better. And I think it would have made him a better fighter. It's in Usman's best interest to kind of go after you and start some shit on Twitter because that's going to get attention, even if Usman might agree with you. And I think that is a particularly important way in which combat sports commentary, but especially mixed martial arts differs. 
hype is more valuable than ever. And MMA in particular doesn't have the quotation marks established culture that's been built from an era before the social media era of engagement, before the hype era, before the get clicks, before the get attention. And I think that's in the back of everyone's mind as in particular, Bisping has made very clear a few times, he doesn't want to start a fight with everybody, but sometimes he wants to speak the truth. So to maybe, I, I suppose we've kind of covered a lot of question three anyway, what are the most common complaints people point out with commentary, but perhaps something we haven't discussed in detail. So we still have a question three, God help me. What specific complaints do any of you have as analysts? Like what analytical concerns do you have with commentary in the MMA sphere? I'm not, I'm not going to start off this question. I just want to add to that point you said about bringing up the fact that we're in a, they're in a fight. Like Dan also, I know you could definitely testify to this too. Like we're having life altering injuries just from training. Like I have two bulging discs in my neck. I have shooting pain down my arm, getting PT for like three months now. I tore uh, and I tore my meniscus like within like two weeks of that, like of the injury. So like the shit's, this shit sucks. And Dan has a litany of injuries too. So it, it makes it so much harder. But yeah, someone else start this. Uh, to just uh, to briefly comment on the, the comparison between social media, video games, and uh, the, the uh, mixed martial arts, I think in part what leads to the fragility uh, in uh, the, the uh, to the perceived fragility of uh, the fighters and uh, everyone involved in the sport, all the agents operating within uh, the scope of the sport. But uh, when you look at video games, if you have been following video games for any number of years and you have been following video game journalism in particular, what you'll notice is this sort of like insecurity uh, about wanting to be perceived as a real thing, as a real form of art or, or as a real sport. And so uh, this leads to a lot of hyperbole and this leads to uh, a lot of um, very knee-jerk reactions to criticism. Uh, instead of uh, perceiving criticism as something that, that is offered in order to get better things later down the line, it's perceived as something, uh, it's perceived, uh, perceived as something that haters do. They, they want to bring you down instead of uh, offering actual feedback. And uh, to be fair, a lot of the criticisms can stem from that place instead of uh, a good, you know, they're not made in good faith. As to the analytical complaints, uh, I, would, I would have to explain my perspective, why I decided to become a fight analyst and why I decided to get into all this. So um, I come from a family of uh, uh, combat athletes. My grandfather uh, was a wrestler and... Uh, uh, my uncle was a kickboxer and so I kind of grew up in, the, in that environment and generally speaking uh, in Siberia the, the sport of your choosing would primarily if you're a young male it would primarily be a combat sport so everyone around me trained in combat sports everyone around me practiced like wrestling boxing yada 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 and so I kind of always trained in my youth uh, here and there, and then I started taking it seriously as I grew up. And uh, as I got into it, and first of all, like the first tidbits of knowledge that I received about fighting in terms of like, not uh, how you perform the technique, but how fighting works, like from a big picture perspective, I got from commentary. 
And so that that has affected my training early on. So here's Joe Rogan saying why this and that works. Why here's DC saying why this and that shouldn't be done or should be done in a fight. And I go, okay, it makes sense. But then the more I progressed, the more I learned, the more I realized that some of the statements that they make are either generalizations or um, just do not make sense in all contexts. And you have to take them with a bit of a grain of salt. And uh, so I started uh, Tengri Dome as a sort of a venue. First, I started listening to Jack Slag as a venue to improve my training and uh, get some advice. And then I started Tengri Dome as to serve kind of a similar purpose to that, in addition to some other, to, to some other ethical concerns that I wanted to, to voice. So I, I um, approach fights uh, in a way from the perspective of someone who wants to learn more about fighting. You watch a fight, okay, here's really proficient combat athletes performing these very interesting things. I want to understand how they do that, and I want to convey that to an audience and share my experiences attempting it in training, something like that. Uh, and whenever these days the more i've learned the, the more i started the more i began to understand about combat sports the more i started realizing that some of the stuff that they say is just plain wrong <laughs> and uh for example dc uh talking about how you quote and i quote direct quote you can't kick punch <laughs> okay what, what does that mean you can't kick and punch at the same time is that what he I mean, means or you can't he's kind of he's kind of right in that way <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's a bizarre statement to make. Uh, it just sounds silly. I mean, he's 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 not he's not wrong. You can't say if he's you, wrong. If you see the clip, if you see the clip, the guy is trying to kick punch. Yeah, but the way that it's been perceived, oh, that's amazing. The way it's yeah, it's it's a silly thing. The guy was attempting a silly thing, and you can't try and kick and punch at the same time. But a lot of fans. Uh, took that to mean that you can't mix kicks and punches together in a sequence which is my point <laughs> like and this is just yeah okay you 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 can be misinterpreted by fans but it's something that you have to take into account when you're broadcasting and when you're such a public figure in the sport or for example uh dc going that uh, uh, when uh darren till was fighting tyron woodley and got knocked out uh what did DC say about that? Don't throw a lead uppercut a left straight because that's a bad combination. What really happened is that Darren Till kind of basically just mistimed the combination and kind of performed it in a way that led to the knockout and not because it's a bad combination in itself. And it kind of, it's not that DC doesn't understand fighting. It's more that DC just doesn't have the broadcasting skill to formulate his thoughts in a way that doesn't mislead the audience and it ties back to the to what the original point that Fenya said broadcasting is a specific skill that you learn you learn how to convey your thoughts in a manner that uh, lowers the percentage lowers the probability of you being misinterpreted by fans as low as possible and because the sport is so tightly knit, everyone knows everyone. And uh, a lot of uh, the positions that uh, are available in promotions are access-based. 
So you know people, so you can get in. And this leads to this situation where people who might not might not have might not have training in broadcasting skill getting into the booth. They just brought in because they're a fighter. People know them. Uh, the brass knows them, and they can. The people will just hear. No, this is two time. Uh, this is this is uh, two weight champion speaking in the booth, and people will go. No, then whatever he says must be true. Uh, that's kind of uh, that's first of all that's not very true and uh, it kind of puts this misleads really uh, people into thinking that everything that the broadcasters are saying is true and it puts a cap on how much the critical perception of the sport can grow amongst the fan base I want to add on to what uh, Tuman's saying it is interesting and there's a lot of these examples where you could pick and that's more of an analyst, uh, you know, more analyst specific things, which is under the topic um, uh, and the outline that, that we're under. Uh, but like, I would, I would say this though, too, it, 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 there are some more obvious ones and there's definitely that dynamic too, when it comes from the analyst, cause it's like, well, can't question the two time UFC champ. You know, I, I get that. I, I get both sides of that. Doesn't mean you, sh- you shouldn't be able to, doesn't mean they're always going to be correct. Like, like Tuman is pointing out. But uh, what gets me more, and to the point of just kind of, again, influencing not just the booth, um, but the viewers, not just casuals, but people that are aspiring analysts or even people um, in the media, because an example that, that crosses what Tubman's saying came up, but it was more on the Joe Rogan side where it's funny, Joe was just like, you know, he was, you got to check it, all about exposing the real, right? Like, look at this MMA stuff that no one's talking about in the late 90s, right? Um I'm going to call out Carlos Mencia for stealing my jokes and I'm going to broadcast. I'm going to question everything. Like that was Joe Rogan's thing. Right. And somewhere along the line, he's went like almost to like the woo woo karate side that like people like him would make fun of where he's like, you know, like, um, for example, I was having a discussion about the scoring of a uh, Luis Saldana round with um, round, I believe, uh, you know, round two or three i forget it was uh with uh what's his name the weird looking it guy with uh, the big head and the skinny uh, sean, sean woodson, woodson. Sean sean woodson. woodson. It gives you all all nightmares at night there you go um and i was you know and and and, and, and again this is uh this is not calling it, uh, anybody out or the saying that there's a right way to score this round that i'm talking about that is not the point here but the, the point of the discussion was that you know, half of us uh, in the media, we're, we're talking about these scores and we're talking about, um, you know, why either we gave it to Saldana or why those of us gave it to Woodson, gave it to Woodson. And I gave it to Saldana because essentially I thought he got the better striking of the first half of the round. But for the last minute 33 or so, he, um, he, he, he uh, Saldana takes him down, passes, doesn't really get any strikes off and lands in a, in a buggy choke attempt, right? And, um, <laughs> it's it, it's essentially you know it's it, it's a choke that you know it, it, if done right the guy will go out i've seen it before okay it's we, we were actually just working on it the other week um in class but part of the argument was that even though the choke didn't do anything and and whatnot was that um one of the reasonings was it was like well he was dictating the terms <clears throat> true okay he was and saldana wasn't doing a good job of getting out of it but how we can score that is is, is, is perhaps a different story and I remember, and again, this is this is something I've heard from a lot of people, and this is someone I heard from someone I respect, not calling anybody out, but the, one of the, the reasoning was they said that um, 
you still have to give credit to the damaging efforts of the submission. And I'm all for giving credit for people going for stuff off their back, right? Like I've been screaming since the Miguel Torres, Demetrius Johnson days. Far be it from me to criticize a judge for finally giving a guy credit for going something off his back. But at the same time, I, I, that word damage, I'm like, what damage is there? It's a blood, it's not an arm lock, it's not a heel hook. If we're gonna give credit for a failed buggy choke attempt, how many failed leg locks and stuff that actually did damage and turned some MCLs and stuff did we just poo poo? Because again, the commentary back to Tuman's point, you got world champions or Joe Rogan constantly going, Oh, you just get punched when you go for leg locks. And they don't know anything really about leg locks. Uh, that was never their game, right? Even Rogan with his 10th planet uh, deal, uh, I don't, I, you know, I've never really heard him have nuanced discussion on leg locks as far as just saying, you know, like, you know, who's really good, this guy you know and so part of me is like wait a minute so if if, if we're going to give him thing for the buggy joke shouldn't we keep that same energy and i had a flashback real long roundabout example but time back to two minutes point i had a flashback to tony ferguson versus danny castillo you guys remember that fight and tony kept going for the out of position darces and what did rogan keep saying he goes no no you don't understand he, he, he's not in choking position but this is bad news for danny because tony's just using it to steal his energy away and i'm like what, what? and i forget like somebody like posted something like and ironically a lot of these a lot of these examples for rogan are also on the ground which is ironic because jujitsu is supposed to be his strength and his most legit black belt right but a lot of these woo-woo uh, stuff, it's not, it's not, it's not even technical. It's not even like- you just say his most legit black belt? It, well, it's his, it's his most legit black belt. It is. I, I'm a type one. Listen, I have a type one. Flexing it, folks. I am not from that shit. I'm just saying, like, it's just ironic that a lot of his stuff, and it's not even like what Tune said, where a technical disagreement on an actual move, like, he's just completely saying, like, bogus woo woo like he's choking him through his third eye type type crap right like <laughs> and and again and again the danny castillo um tony ferguson and and i i, I part of me wonders i'm like is this so burnt into people's minds back to tuman's example because we all have different versions of this that some of us never corrected course from being you know misled and now you have people in prominent positions going off of bad information because it's been ape for so long and our bright spots in the commentary booth for what we're focusing on like the stanics of the world are kind of disproportioned you know we get this type of stuff so answering hacks question as far as what they do good and what they do bad what they do good is little stuff like body work um and, and because everybody thinks i'm the body work whisperer but when i talk to actual analysts like you guys it's nothing special because you guys talk talk about body work i just overemphasize it for like the casuals to educate people because you, they don't realize how how important that stuff is and i mentioned the good to parlay with um the bad to answer hacks thing before i push it on to you guys is that i feel like whatever their strengths and we could get on with these technical things on where I think they're good, where I think they're bad. I think that all their strengths are essentially half going to waste. If they, if they, and again, don't get me wrong. I don't want the commentary turning into scoring. It should be analysis. They should yeah. not be focusing on scoring. Don't get, don't get that twisted here, but, but I do feel like they are not using their strength. The strengths that they're so quick to flex and tell the judges and the media and us analyst nerds to, to shut up. You never been in the octagon like we have. I feel like they're they're really missing the boat there because they do have every right to flex, but they're completely missing the boat on what to flex because 
they don't even know what the rules are of what they're covering. And again, I don't want it to turn into the criteria hour. I want them to do their analysis. They are analysts, right? But uh, I feel like a lot of them are missing the boat, which I want to shout Laura Sanko. I know Ben uh, is a big vocal proponent of her. She does a great job, has her own identity, something that, you know, uh, Fenyo was talking about. But she does the due diligence and that transfers because now you can take all that underhook cruise or the wrestling stuff, Cormier, that you want to flex on the audience as well as your uh, co, you know, when they do that weird, again, another thing about active fighters, you get, you get them flexing on each other. It's like you you guys can do that, but do it properly. Use your use your strength. Like you actually have the ability to use it to to affect change in the battle, and instead they rest on their laurels of kind of like what Tuman said of oh, I'm a two time this and this and that, and again they are in all respect to them. We're not taking that away nor trying to, but I really feel like they're missing the boat as far as not using their analysis strengths and actually melding it functionally, not just for our understanding in that whole effect, but, but for themselves, because again, they, they probably would have less instance where they, they have egg on their face when they're just saying like factually incorrect stuff. I, I, I find it funny because I would almost describe the, the points that you've made. Like Joe Rogan kind of led the revolution, you know, question everything, hold people to account, you know, nothing's unquestionable. Well, now that he's on top, all of a sudden he's unquestionable and his friends are unquestionable. You know, it's 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 the old arc of history again and again and again. But uh, I'm going to, so we're going to talk about expertise. I'm going to essentially hand off to a point made by a journalism professor that some of you may be familiar with if you know a thing or two about cooking videos, Adam Ragusia. So here's somebody who's actually an expert on journalism. What is journalism? Big part of it is the art of communication, a point that he makes so often. And it is so true. And I will mention it every single time to every single smart ass fighter that says, stop questioning my credentials. You analysts don't know shit. Being the best in the world at something does not mean, number one, you know why you're the best at something. Number two does not mean you are good at communicating why you are the best at something. Number three does not mean you are capable of educating other people on how to be the best at something. The best coaches in American football or basketball history do not one-for-one match up with the best players. So I'm going to turn it back to some of my experience. So experience with the Soviet amateur boxing system, which I had, you know, had a fair number of fights at a pretty high level and a little bit of experience with amateur wrestling where I wasn't nearly as good, but hey, let's throw it in. You know, that's a system that has produced more high level results at the highest level of international competition than almost any system in the world. Obviously it doesn't exist anymore, but hey, I lived through it, right? And a big part of that system was understanding that understanding that the best coaches and the best analysts and the best communicators, which are three different things, are not necessarily the best fighters. That is something that was understood by the Cuban boxing system, which might be one of the most dominant systems of athletics ever. These systems understood that being a two-time mixed martial arts champion does not equate to being the best analyst, does not equate to being the best mind. And There's nuance there. There's tremendous nuance there in that there are some things that Daniel Cormier can probably talk about better than almost anybody on earth because of his unique combination at fighting at a very high level for a quite a long period of time in different sports, battling back through tremendously difficult moments in his life and in fights to tremendous success. But that doesn't mean he's the be all end all on everything. 
So I would like to focus in on a very specific example of something that really annoys me as an analyst and really annoys me as somebody who deals with that argument of what do you know? You're an analyst. So um, everybody's favorite. He got the he got the body lock. He got the underhooks. He got the takedown. He wins the round. Uh, Cross. So he loves to say, oh, he got a takedown. I think he that means he wins the round. Now, there are different ways you can read that. One is that Krause is phoning it in and doesn't know anything about the rules. But I'm going to go with the best possible faith interpretation of that point. The point that he's trying to make, perhaps maybe not as clearly as we'd like, is that even though the rules say that takedowns that don't score damage probably shouldn't contribute towards scoring, that does not necessarily mean the judges will interpret it that way. Now, there's a really fantastic point there that he is probably one of MMA's all-time great experts at in the point of optics, how to look like you're winning when you're not, how to steal rounds when you shouldn't, how to sell bullshit. And he is genuinely an incredible expert at that. Anybody that's watched him fight for five minutes has seen him win rounds, situations, and some people may feel fights that he probably shouldn't have won if you were just scoring them on the objective criteria. But because he doesn't present his thoughts in a nuanced way, because he just goes essentially, well, that the rules don't, you know, the rules don't matter. He's got to take down the judges or score it that way. Because he essentially, in some instances, behaves as if he doesn't need to explain himself, then he doesn't do a very good job of analyst analysis at all. He's so close in that instant to making an incredibly profound point that links his capabilities and his knowledge to the betterment of mixed martial arts but he just doesn't cross that boundary and that is kind of the primary critique i have of mixed martial arts analysis it's a lack of nuance and it's why my favorite commentator at the moment is sanko or felder because they just they just love to say you know what i've got no fucking idea what's happening right now i'm so confused my expertise doesn't reach here and that's really powerful for three reasons. Number one, it humanizes the commentators. When a broadcaster says, I'm as confused as you are, that I think that ropes in especially casuals like nothing else. We're all confused. We're all scared. This is fucked up. This sport is terrifying. Let's navigate the waters together. But also, it's entertaining. Who doesn't like learning with somebody they thought knew more than them? Like, doesn't that just make you feel like you're learning something? Oh, they don't know why that's happening. You're a casual in the audience. You think you know why it's happening. You have your explanation. Your explanation turns out to be true. You've learned something. So yeah, a, a little bit more nuance, a little bit more humility and a willingness to say, I don't know. I think DC's commentary in the last couple of months has gotten a lot better because he started doing that. It's fun. It's, it's, it's humility. It's humanizing. And the truth is that MMA is such a clusterfuck full of different styles and approaches and rules that none of us really have any idea what the best approach is. I mean, look at the top champions in every division. None of them fight the same way. None of them have the same philosophy. None of them train, you know, they don't all train at the same camp. So if there's that diversity of approach and thinking, why is our analysis seemingly afraid to be the same? Um to jump off of a lot of what you guys said, which covered so much of it, um, it's, and, and each of you, there's so many unique aspects to it. So, um, so Cormier was, it has been one of the primary examples we've been using um, as jumping off points for ideas. And a lot of the problems with someone like Cormier presents is that, and Hax, you brought up that he's been a lot more willing a lot more willing 
like Felder, like Sanko, excuse me, to say, oh, I don't know what's going on. Um, and he's been better about that. The problem is, is that the fans, for whatever reason, well, there are many reasons, will take what DC says about something that he does not necessarily have the expertise in and will say, well, DC says this, so therefore you're wrong, right? That's the issue also. Um, so you won't have that issue with someone like Felder or Senko as much because they will say themselves, listen, I don't know, like, like you said. Um, but still, you'll even get that still. So that's a problem with that too. Um, it's, uh, oh, by the way, Fanyo, sorry, you would, wait, Fanyo didn't go. Go, take it, sorry. <laughs> so uh, I think what, there's a lot to, to catch up here, but I think one one thing that we were talking like way back about the, the skills of broadcasting is that I said the UFC is very good at, at picking people. And it's because people like DC have a very good aesthetic as a, as a, a personality as a commentator. Yeah. He has a good personality. He has the charisma. He speaks well. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have uh, trouble communicating stuff. Like uh, Hack said, I'm pretty sure like if you sit down to calmly talk with DC, he'll surprise you and... Uh, especially to people like us that are so used to critique him, he probably knows a lot about the sport, right? And not only wrestling. I, I'm pretty sure he knows his fair. His uh, he, he has uh, good knowledge about boxing and kickboxing. If 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 only from experience, because he figured out so much stuff fighting for so long. But but speaking at live at the moment, uh, even and. And you and everyone should know that these guys are not thrown to the wolves immediately. These guys are taking broadcasting classes uh, behind the scenes. Obviously, they're not taking them. <laughs> like, but the thing is that they're getting some training, but but it takes time. Like, uh, DC has been commentating for what, like four or five years or even less. That's not a long time to get good at something. And I think he has been making some improvements. I like Bisping a lot, but I think he has trouble sometimes communicating what, what he's thinking in a in a more thoughtful way. Uh, there are fighters, they're watching fights. I think they get very visceral at times. Uh, another thing is that you don't know how much instruction they're getting, you know? Do we know if behind the scenes they are they are being uh, said like okay in this fight you should hype up this this one fighter maybe maybe they are not getting those instructions at all but maybe they are getting it it's it's kind of hard to tell sometimes it feels like the broadcasting team does uh, as a whole does not like some fighters and that's very weird <laughs> that's a very strange experience when I'm I'm watching a fight like why why do they dislike this guy. Maybe, maybe they are giving instructions. Maybe the guy is a dick off camera. <laughs> you, you never know, right? Uh, and there's a lot of stuff like uh, with the productions, with the production too. For example, when they get when they get data, from example, from uh, Strikes Landed. I was rewatching uh, Aldo versus Lamas the other day, and at one time they show the graphic and they are crediting uh, Lamas with like. 21 leg kicks. 
those were like three leg kicks. Like Aldo was shaking them all. And Rogan was acknowledging that those were shaked, but he was like, you can tell he was kind of like, ah, should I say they shouldn't count or should I go and just shut my mouth, you know? So, and the guys are putting, the guys are put on the spot like immediately with those kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not sure if they are even allowed to say I disagree with the the statistics. There's a lot of unknowns when it comes to this, but... I think one thing that could help for sure, I think is, especially when they have the three persons uh, boots, um, they could use some more structure, some more defined roles. I think the the DC Rogan that we've been talking a, a lot about on this on this whole thing, um, it's a bit too much. They kind they they tend to drown Anik in some in some places. Um and you can tell Anik is like a humble guy. He doesn't he doesn't want to stand up to them. So he sometimes just let them riff. Hit the ropes here and there uh, because he knows his, it is his job. He has to do that. But I think um, I think for example when they bring the coaches to speak between rounds, uh, they they bring Dean Thomas a lot uh, nowadays. And I think I think he knows a lot, but he's not a great communicator. Um, so, sometimes I, I'm, I'm very critical of Tim Thomas, but I'm pretty sure he knows his stuff. I mean, he's a former fighter. He's a good coach. Um, for, for all that matters. I mean, the, the, I've seen him corner people and the stuff, the, the advice is usually pretty good. Even when he's telling goodly to do stuff that he will never do in his life. But, but yeah, I think he sometimes missed the mark because he doesn't have the, the experience. I mean, he's put on the spot for very for a very short time. But maybe uh, you can do that with with DC, not for not like putting him that back, but like him being the third guy that gives his like his expertise on some positions. Obviously, you don't remove him as a personality as a whole, but you give a little bit more of structure to the booth. And you don't turn it like into the DC and Rogan podcast that it's takes you out of the experience. I mean, I think uh, every fight is uh, every fight and uh, and the two fighters involved in every bout deserve respect. I think, and even when the fight is very boring, I think the the commentator booth should be allowed to call the fight boring, uneventful, mm-hmm. uh, critique the fight, but they should stay in topic. I think that's the the bare minimum that the fighters deserve. Uh, in that position, even in the worst fight, they don't deserve to be podcast to be podcast over. They they deserve to be critiqued for the work that they're doing. They're putting the they're putting their life out there in a in a fist fight, even if there's not a lot of contact. <laughs> even in a fight like uh, Namajunas versus uh, Esparza, that, <laughs> that, I mean, it, it fucking sucked. I mean. It, it was, one of the worst fights of all time. It was a but very I, bad fight. I maintain bad even fight. even that fight uh, deserves uh, the respect to being called for what is happening, even if what's happening is very minimum. Yeah, uh, critiquing um, is not necessarily just shitting on people. It's yeah, critique is feedback. It's meant to give you feedback so you can uh, act on it. You can review it. Take what you think is useful work on some uh, on some stuff and improve it's not uh it, it, what it's like another communication problem when you when, when you say that the fight sucks 
you're not necessarily just uh, shitting on it. There are objective reasons for why you think that. And there is a lot of mm-hmm. factors coming into it that may be going through your brain, but you just don't have enough time. You, you, you can't communicating doesn't work that way. You can't, when you're talking to a person, you can't give them an entire nuanced article on the thing over and over again. <laughs> it's just not possible. Yeah, um, I just want to add to Fino's point really quick. I think that's a great point as far as the roles in the booth um, that you're mentioning too, as far as that goes. Because, um, and, and the critique part that Tuman was tying in, like, that's another reason why I, I kind of stand that Brian Stan and John Anik uh, booth commentary, because you got the most critiques. Um, you got, uh, and you knew, you knew it because, uh, you know, you, you, you'd hear Brian Stan say something and John Anik would go, that's fair, or I believe that's a fair statement, you know, and because it was, just, it was so fair and well put, and you don't really hear those things a lot with these booths. And even going back to older booths, whether it was Randy Couture in the UFC uh, or um, Stephen Quadros, again, you know, to be a big Stephen Quadros guy, but he wasn't a, you know, uh, a big name MMA fighter or whatever. He was, he was a guy they use as a third man broadcast for uh, in pride, but a lot of combat sports, if you're familiar with that name, either way, I named that two spectrum because um, they always called it the third man in the booth back then. And now it's just like, it feels like one big super team and we'll see how it kind of, uh, how it kind of collects together. Whereas that's why I think that was really sharp. What Finio said, where it's like, maybe, you know, yeah, uh, more dedicated roles probably wouldn't hurt that. And as far as the training and and Cruz, who I believe Finio said, Cruz would be a good third man, which I agree. And it's funny because Cruz is the one guy who you could really criticize as far as, because he doesn't have um, what Bisping and DC have, which is natural charisma right? It can go into the wrong directions, maybe in your opinions here, or it can help them there, right? But it's, it's more of a natural charisma is what I would call it. Whereas Felder and Sanko, obviously Anik, because he was trained and has the degree in it with the broadcast journalism, but Felder and Sanko have more just like of skills, broadcast skills. Paul's comes from theater. And I've talked to him about this because before his first debut in it was UFC Pennsylvania or UFC Norfolk, where he got to call a little grip of the prelims, kind of what they did with um, Ninganu's early fights in 2015 when when Cruz got to do it for like, uh, what was it, RDA Cowboy 2. They let Cruz call the prelims. They did the same thing for Paul. And I was on a military trip before Paul, and he was kind of like cramming and nervous about it. He asked me for my notes. He asked me for some links to my work. And I was like, man, you know, you're going to kill it, man. Like, trust me. I'm like, your your theater experience translates to broadcast stuff. Like, Anytime I've ever had to do any kind of like acting jobs or commercial work, like, man, all my my theater work uh, through school, uh, primary school, uh, high school, college, I even did paid theater stuff um, and and whatnot. But it it all really helped um, as far as the broadcast portion of it. And and I was like, I'm willing to bet anything you're going to kill it, Paul. And Paul's Paul's done great. He's 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 one of the better ones, I I would say, you know, if if I had to put a gun, 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 gun to the head. Um, so that's kind of how I delineated as far as those those skills and Cruz in his defense, though, I think he has been getting better. I know they do have some types of training programs. Some of them have their own like training schools like Heidi Andrew on the broadcast. I know she has something, but Cruz has gotten better. I don't know what it fight, fight it was, but I actually noted it down uh, to talk on my podcast like a few months ago. But I, 
I forget what fight it is, but someone was saying, he's like, yeah, this guy's being cocky. And then, you know, what happens, then you get knocked out. And Cruz was just like so perfect with comedic, comedic timing, sarcasm. Like he has these gears in there, but he goes, he says this line, he goes with great delivery, he goes, but he's the fan favorite. Like, like it was just very unlike Cruz. And it was so hilarious and perfect. I, I wish I knew what fight it was, but he was like on and like, he was like really hitting some jokes. And it's funny, like we think that Rogan's and the DCs we pick on for playing into each other too much. And that's a potential dynamic when you have fighters or active fighters and you really are kind of melding the roles. You kind of have that little collision course in there. But Cruz is a guy I actually don't mind. Um, uh, doing that a little more one because he, he can to his credit be funny when he wants to be and two when he has the overdoing it guy like a rogan so to speak i know we're picking on rogan here but he what i like about cruz my favorite thing is he's dry and cutting to rogan he won't put up with it he will call him out yeah. and so i feel like they should maybe you know maybe pick cruz as a third person like fanyo said and pair him up with rogan and let dc carry the non-rogan broadcast since dc is trying to step into that dana white joe rogan role anyways it's kind of like uh, an extension of the problem that the UFC has, which is evaluating talent for matchmaking. And uh, it's, a, it's a long topic in itself, but um, it seems that to me that they kind of have trouble evaluating the talents of the broadcasting team as well. And to just hammer the point of a broadcasting team is a team. It should act as a team. And team members have roles they have strengths they have weaknesses and you have to account for it when you're organizing a broadcasting team and dominic cruz yeah he's um, he has selling points he he is um, he has uh, an extremely dry delivery which can be extremely funny in select situations he's very catty he's very um, he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder which can work really well in select situations but not in situations uh, when the, it creates a personality clash. Like, for example, Conor McGregor, Habib Nurmagomedov. Joe, <laughs> Dominic Cruz starts talking about... Joe Rogan keeps talking about how Habib is smashing Conor. Uh, he's destroying him. Cruz, given his personality, feels like he needs to contradict. He needs to be the different one. He needs to be the one with the differing opinion. So he goes, oh no, Conor is actually trying to gas Habib out. He's doing a rope-a-dope uh, by, by, by like sticking on bottom and getting his fa face smashed in, which is something Rogan commented on immediately after. But with proper, proper direction, with uh, given proper direction and uh, more clear and cut instructions uh, on, well, guidelines on what you should be trying to hit on in commentary could improve the situation by a lot. And uh, the one thing that I wanted to mention is kind of like um, it's, 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 it really seems very arbitrary to me that the way they pick their teams for like large events and pay-per-views and fight nights it's kind of like it's almost like based on reputation and not so much availability and who is best for the job which uh, kind of concerns me and so one of those things that are not very transparent and uh, Fenya mentioned it before we can't know what's going on behind the scenes there's no transparency we do not know what are the criteria for being picked for the broadcasting team how the process looks like behind the scenes and perhaps if we knew 
we could be able to offer more meaningful feedback than just complain about the commentary and how it doesn't doesn't gel well with our sensibilities or how it just, just doesn't explain these such and such things. We could be hammering home points that could lead to like genuine change. And we can't because the UFC is not transparent and because fire talks in general are not transparent. And yeah, again, I think we yeah, just want to just one one thing I wanted to talk about is that uh, James Krause was brought up earlier and I, I wanted to actually just really quickly, I, I found this quote from him um, and, and I think it's really important to see. He says, I'm not just an MMA coach. The culture in our gym is not an MMA culture. The culture is, this is our life. This is what we do. This is us. We live this lifestyle to do this. It's not just about fighting. There are things that go along with that that you have to understand. You have to be and to be able to operate at this level. Just like any professional sport, the window is not much. This is not a career. He's there to, con he, the way he conveys information shows that his entire focus, as you said, is about knowing what wins the fights. It's And he, he can show that to his fighters effectively without having to explain why it works, what what he's exploiting in the rule set when he when he talks about these things as efficient as effectively as he needs to while also acknowledging that that's not actually what should be winning the fight or is winning the fight um that's what's the most important thing he's a coach he's teaching fighters how to win the fight he doesn't need to teach them how to convey why they're winning the fight it's it's two separate skill sets and it's the difference between why a great coach doesn't isn't necessarily going to translate to being a great analyst. You have that mix. There are excellent examples. Uh, Dan, you'll, you'll know Eric is a perfect example of that. Tyson Chardia as well. There are plenty of examples. Uh, Sean Madden, our, our, our boy Sean. You know, like there are plenty of coaches that can do that, but you don't necessarily need to to be a successful coach. Um, and someone like DC also has a lot of skills that translate well to certain things. I think it'd be a fantastic, like, you know, like one of those like sports talk show situations. Like, I think he has a great personality for that. He obviously is a successful, <laughs> he's a relatively successful fighter and wrestler, I would say. He, like he has that experience to to bring some analysis to it that could be really valuable because he could pick specific wrestling exchanges rather than necessarily having to call every single exchange throughout the fight for things he's not necessarily going to be able to explain. Or explain striking. But, exactly <laughs> right so um because his well let's let's explain why that why that even worked why that makes sense his striking was built a lot around um his physical tools it's swarming, it wasn't necessarily basically walking forward throwing lots of volume overwhelming mm -hmm. his opponents not necessarily with, with setting up tools. like traps and stuff yeah he, and he I could think... show some he obviously did have some level of craft he's not completely mm -hmm. You know, we're not, but when you have it's such... just the basis it, around yeah. which your style was built. A, a lot of athletes have the same problem. Really high-level athletes, even at lower weights, where they cover their flaws with their athleticism. It's that, it's that simple. I mean, it's not the only... It's not only athleticism, but uh, I think... No, of uh, course, that's what I'm saying. We said there was craft. It's just that you could cover your flaws yeah, with the athleticism. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, going back a little bit, I think the... I think if you if you get like every commentator that the big ones that the UFC has right now, I think uh, if you watch it from the from the standpoint of the UFC, all of them are very valuable. They are they're all like very good pieces. I think they could make a better work of organizing them in teams. I, I think for sure some teams don't work as well. 
um, but this is just uh, just a speculation because you know they they will keep doing the the Anakin wrong and DC for all the big pay per views when they are inside the U the USA because that's the most popular boot. It has the the biggest names. I think that boot doesn't work very well. I don't think um, uh, DC and Rogan complement each other very well when it comes to to actually calling the fights. Obviously, they have huge moments. Um, even if I'm not a, bi a big fan of them, uh, the reaction camp when when Juli Juliana Peña beat Amanda Nunez is like <laughs> such a good moment. Like they are laughing and we're watching, it, <laughs> looking each other in the eyes. It's it's crazy, yeah. But but I think uh, this is works well in a. For example, I've liked uh, DC and Bisping in the past. Because they complement each other, especially in the areas of, in the area of expertise. Uh, the, I I've seen that in that context, DC lets Bisping talk a lot about, talk a lot about striking, and Bisping lets DC talk about the wrestling part. And I think that works pretty well. Uh, I think their their personalities complement each other better than Rogan and DC because Rogan and DC both are trying to be like the big guy in the room all the time. Um, as as uh, both me and and Dan have touched on, uh, Cruz is great to have as the third man in the booth because he doesn't has the need to be talking all the time, but he can bring like good points. And if he's not forced to to create a, a narrative about the fight, that I think that's his weakest point. Like he tends to like get like fixated on on little things. Uh, but if you just let him like talk the detail, the, the details, and um, be a character, because as as the, as Dan said, um, he doesn't have like the big charisma than the other guys, but but he can be like a very funny guy. He has uh, a good presence. I think he's very good as a third guy. And 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 I'm all for bringing uh, Sanko like to the big cards. Uh, I hope she ends up on the pay-per-views in the near future because she's great. She does the homework. She has the charisma. She has the, this the whole package as a as a commentator. Uh, I like her a lot. Uh, I will but say. I think, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to add to your DC thing uh, with the English pairing. You know who we actually paired out really good with, who we don't get to see a lot anymore, sadly, was John Gooden. He did a UFC Sao Paulo card where it was DC and Gooden. I loved that pairing. Oh, that was it was good, great. Yeah. And I also wanted to give Gooden a shout because he's more play-by-play -play than color analyst uh, commentary, right? But Gooden, I believe, has fought at an amateur level. He's competed in jiu-jitsu. He's really tight with fight gyms and has come around that, but he's so humble as you should be in that position. Um, and he's like in volleyball, he's always setting it up for the other person in a spike. You would never know that Gooden has the experience that he does because he knows that's not his role. And he really just, again, he really embraces that thing that it's a team, like what Tuman said, it should act as a team. And yeah. um, it, I, I don't know with Hardy gone, if we're going to see less of Gooden, but, but that would suck. And the last thing before I kick it back was I would like to see DC have more Jeff Blatnick in a really random 90s reference for a UFC commentator. But Blatnick, of course, commentated NC, uh, you know, uh, NCAA collegiate wrestling here in the United States. And like Fenyo and a lot of you guys have said, as far as that respect, Blatnick, he really had that respect and reverence in his commentary. Not that DC doesn't, but I just feel like DC could could really embody that role of a, of a more new age Blatnick. Back, back to you guys. Sorry. Yeah, I think... Uh... 
Gooden has like, uh, as I was saying, he has the qualities. Um, for example, Rogan can can't go back to being like a play by play guy because he's just too big of a personality, too big of a cult following. The the UFC uh, reaps the benefits of putting Rogan in the spotlight. But if but early years Rogan as a as a play by play commentator actually very good. Um, if he was doing that role, I would. I would like him a lot, to be honest. But the problem is that uh, the color commentator uh, uh, position for him nowadays, I don't like it as much, especially because I feel like I feel like he's not doing his homework. Um, we used to see like Rogan being very detailed about describing Jiu-Jitsu positions. It's a lot lazier nowadays when it comes to that. Um, I, I, like to, to just to cut in real quick I, I don't think you will see Rogan trying to explain inside some Kaku these days like come on does Rogan really try and explain anything these days to be honest like, yeah exactly so I think we're kind of at the point now where we can talk about maybe not concluding statements but drawing this down a little bit so I guess our fourth question and we've we've answered parts of this is you know essentially what are the consequences of bad commentary? And something that Ben said has given me an idea. I'm going to scrap what I was originally going to plan to say and open this. Ben uh, remarked on a comment by James Krause that this isn't a career. It's too short to be a career about mixed martial arts. And my response to that would be, I, that's a very interesting perspective. I actually think that's a really good perspective from planning out your life and i will add to that mixed martial arts is too short to be a career commentary is not analysis is not these are things that you have to turn into careers if you want to be good at them and i think in a lot of ways that quote from james kraus is probably the quote i'm now going to fire back at anybody who does fight that say that analysts and coaches and people that don't fight should shut up because my response would be coaching and analysis is a career that you can sustain so much longer than actually fighting. Well, of course, fighting experience can be very valuable. So with respect to bad commentating and its outcomes, I'm going to try and flip the script a little bit here. And instead of talking about negative outcomes, because I know all of you have so many ideas ready to go, uh, I'd instead like to talk about wasted potential. And I'm going to do that by comparing to what I think is honestly the gold standard of commentary right now when it comes to sports. Or actually, no, I shouldn't say gold standard, but the gold standard for rapid improvement. And that is a lot of the commentary that we see in video games, esports, whatever you want to call it. And there's a few reasons for that and what it can teach us in the MMA space. So for those of you who know nothing about any games that are played professionally, Essentially, because computer games aren't something that is going to give you CTE, and because in most uh, computer games or whatever have what we call replay files, so they're essentially, if you play a game, so if, if anyone knows what Counter-Strike is, you play a game of Counter-Strike, you can reconstruct it frame by frame, piece by piece, which makes analysis very easy. The level of uh, what I would call cost to entry. How hard is it to become an analyst or a commentator if you are doing commentary on a video game like Counter-Strike or Valorant or Dota 2 is very low. So that means that there's a tremendous amount of competition and there's a tremendous amount of people getting into it. And as a result, the level for even just your average random person with a Twitch stream 
you know, watching two random Southeast Asian teams in not even the top division league of Southeast Asia play each other can be remarkably high and can offer some remarkably interesting perspectives. And one thing that really sticks out to me about good commentary and is thus a consequence of bad commentary in, you know, esports space is the importance of collaborating as a team. So not just viewing your contributions to commentary as you as a person, but how do you support and enable and work with the other people? So I'll go to a game that I know pretty well, Dota. So Dota tends to have your commentators in the game. That's usually a two-person team, sometimes a three-person team. One of them is usually assigned a play-by-play role. One of them is usually assigned an analytical role. The third person generally tends to be a high-level analyst that will focus on one or two key moments. And then you also have an analyst desk. It's not too different to mixed martial arts. One thing that really sticks out to me is the absolute like unit level of tightness that some of the commentators in Dota 2 have in terms of how they work with each other. So I'll study an example of my favorite casting duo, at least for now, uh, Sunsfan and Cinderin. So Sunsfan is a cranky old man. He's done just about everything you can do in esports. He knows it inside and out. He's done everything but pl- become a professional player himself. He's run a team. He's run a commentary studio. He's gotten married. Old ass man. And he knows as an old ass man, he can introduce complex topics to new people by basically making fun of himself. He does it all the time. He's the ultimate support man. If something stupid happens or something crazy happens and the analyst feels dumb or has to admit they don't know what's going on, Sunsfan will throw himself under the bus. He'll be like, my old ass man brain didn't understand that. You're going to have to make me less dumb. Come on, tell me all about it, Mr. Smart Guy. He's really capable of taking that every man perspective and everybody that he commentates with he does that he's always thinking not how can i be the one with the smart thing to say how can i be the one with the relevant hot take it's how do i make this team better so then the other person is cinderin cinderin is a former professional player he won basically everything that you can win in dota at the time except the highest level tournament the international he ran a team he's ran some teams that have played terribly he's done it all Cinderin is also an exceptional communicator. He's from De- he's from Denmark, but he I believe he actually has like a master's in English communications. Very well spoken, very slick, very high level knowledge. Cinderin and Sunsfan, obviously as a team, they're always supporting each other. So Cinderin reads the commentary really well in a Dota match. He can understand when do I need to just shut the fuck up and let the game speak for itself. What are the moments when nothing is happening? What are the key points that I need to communicate to an audience? So if we want to come to an MMA example, Cinderin is the sort of person who will remind the audience at the end of every round, this is a striker versus a wrestler matchup. We can't just look at were his takedown successful. We need to think more clearly than that. How much control time did the wrestler have? How energy efficient were the takedowns? You know, how much has the striker been able to hit the wrestler to the, you know, he really gets the broad stroke stuff, right? But these two as a casting duo really work together. It's always team play, team play, team play, team play. And that means that you get one cohesive narrative on the fight. But it also means that the analyst desk can run their own narratives too, because there's consistency in communication. There's a clear narrative presented to the audience. And there's also signposting. So, wow, this uh, particular moment in the game is very important. Let's watch that on replay. The way I would put it is almost they have direction signs for everything they say in their commentary. So then let's compare to like mixed martial arts. Well, if we look at the traditional three-man team of, you know, DC, Rogan, 
and plus one. How often does Rogan or DC signpost for their other commentators? How often do they say, well, the fight's getting a little bit inactive now, let's pass to X. I think a consequence of bad commentating that is often really overlooked from people beyond all the false narrative myth creation, which you'll all discuss. I just think on a very basic level, like a fundamentals level, bad commentating actively harms the other people around you. It harms their potential. It harms the clarity of the broadcast. It just makes it very difficult to consume the product and learn something from it. So on top of all the big picture stuff, which, sure you'll all have to discuss i just wanted to draw attention to that that when we look at perhaps a little bit more practiced a little bit more experienced commentators in other spaces a huge part of what makes great commentary great commentary isn't having super high level insight or isn't nailing the dynamic of every contest it's the basics how do i get this discussion rolling how do I diffuse, you know, an awkward situation? How do I admit I don't know what I don't know? And how do I laugh at myself or laugh at the absurdity of something? How do I not take things too seriously? How do I show nuance? And how do I, almost as if I was writing an essay with topic sentences and end of paragraph lines, explain every step of what's happening and where my thoughts are going, where they're headed and where they end. I mean, the, the first example that, Pops, uh, pops into my head is uh, the HBO boxing broadcasting team that's uh, now sadly defunct. But for ages, H- the HBO boxing broadcast team has essentially defined how people perceive the sport of boxing uh, worldwide, not just in America. Because uh, the passion that uh, Jim Lampley brought to the table, the way that he would tear up at the sight of uh, a, an incredible victory, of a great performance, how uh, Roy Jones Jr. would add his perspective as a as a former, one of the all-time great boxers of all time. Uh, and he would not just hog up all the attention. I'm the all-time great boxer. Everyone shut the fuck up. I'm going to talk about this. He let Jim Lampley uh, do the play-by-play and uh, offer a fan's perspective someone who is passionate about the sport, he would let him talk about, this is incredible, this is Manny Pacquiao, the all-time great champion, performing miracles again. And he would, uh, with, with, with his voice cracking. And then uh, uh, a professional fighter in the booth, not just Roy Jones Jr., but also the, uh, George Foreman, would offer a fighter's perspective. And uh, before Max Kellerman, there was also um, Larry Merchant, God damn it. Ah, yes. Yeah. Drunk on the mic like Larry Merchant. Ah, oh, I was yes. just listening to that so, song. Sorry. Yeah. So Larry Merchant, all the all of them together, they created, they acted as a team and they, they acted exactly in the way that Hacks described with the, the esports example. And this is just something that we're solely lacking in uh, MMA today. We kind of, you can see the UFC almost trying to get the same booth by bringing in Rogan, Anik, and DC over and over again to the big pay-per-views, but they just don't have the same qualities. They just don't, don't perform in the same way. They don't play around with the dynamics of their group. They just kind of, they just by this point, they're just three friends who just kind of vibe together. Yeah, they're, they're, too, they're way too free-form to, uh, to a detriment, I'd say. Uh, so yeah, one of the big improvements it would be like having a more defined roles, having having a director like maybe guiding them on the on the in ears, 
Um, another thing is that I think uh, it's been uh, enough time has passed that the the commentators booth can give uh, the the audience more respect in going more into more nuanced detail about what's going into the fights, especially in pay-per-views when you get to the high-level fights. Like, people have been listening to fights for, like, three hours already. Like, even if you are a complete newcomer, you are already being exposed, like, to four fights prior. So when it comes to the main event, you can't really go into it. Um, maybe, like, Rogue and DC, not the best booth for that, but but it's still, like... There's stuff that DC knows in the wrestling. He can go into more detail, and sometimes he doesn't because, you know, they're worried about alienating the new fans. Um, you can understand that people, as much as we like to say that everyone is stupid, like people is not as dumb. Like fans deserve a bit of respect, and and you can go into more detail. I sometimes watch, um, bringing it back to the video games, I watch a lot of. Um, fighting games and when i started watching like a lot of the of the ter of the terminology was new to me but it wasn't like oh i I'm, I'm going to stop watching because i don't understand that like i could still enjoy the the fights uh, uh from for c fighter or whatever and then with time you get familiar with what they're doing and you start learning and you don't have to be like be taught like oh okay this means this like you sometimes you see a, a thing happen enough times and you start realizing like you don't have to talk about the the importance of the underhook all, all of the time. I mean, that's a very good point, but you can go into a bit more of detail. You can go like in this position for winning the underhook, you can do this or you could do that. I mean, that that would be more useful to the audience than than just saying like, oh, you just got to bring uh, pick the underhook in this position. Yeah. I think... Uh, I think MMA has been going pretty strong for a good time. It has a very solid fan base and that fan base uh, deserves more respect. And in the sense that you can, you can be more nuanced about it. You can count like, on your audience to understand what is happening. It doesn't have to be entry level. Yeah. Like some of us, some of, some of us have, have been watching like religiously for more than 10 years. Um, Dan told me even more than that. And... <laughs> And yeah, I mean, it, it gets tiring. It gets tiring. For, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, a great medium for the point that you guys are talking about. Now, I thought it was kind of silly because I wasn't a religious uh, football fan, despite, you know, American football fan, despite being here in America where everybody is crazy about it. You know, like you don't exist unless you like football. And so every time I saw the Telestrator deal, I would just think of a, some John Madden joke or something like I never took it seriously, but I feel like th that was one of DC's strengths, for example. And I feel like they did that more in the Fox era. I don't know if that has to do with the broadcast, Fox handling more American football or something. I don't know. That's more their broadcast style as opposed to ESPN. But I feel like that's a good medium for what you guys are saying, where that dummies it down, right? But you can still draw out and talk about really technical and functional points of a fight, you know, um, like important, you know, important uh, instances, kind of like with the video game reference that hacks use, right? and use the telestrator where guys like dc can shine and 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 get you know more technical with his wrestling stuff and 
you know, um, I was just like trying to demonstrate because I'm a very visual person. So when I'm breaking things down, you know, I was joking with you guys where the podcast started about bad, bad signs about uh, my training camp. Another bad sign is I'm, I'm getting a lot of a lot of compliments on on how well I coach things. And I'm like, ah, yeah, because some people, you know, are just better at fighting. And just because they're fighting doesn't mean they're as good at, at you know, um, yeah. at coaching, which that'll tie into a point that stays on track with Hax's outline here in a second. Um, but you just see that. And one of the things I was trying to explain to him was like the, the basic, you know, jujitsu, I was trying to teach them the awareness of posts, not necessarily if they want to use it to butterfly sweep, but just so they know what someone's trying to do so they can maybe not get sweep by them. You know, if I'm going for an overhook, that means I've isolated this, this table leg. And I was giving the old table leg analogy, right? You know, if you isolate one leg, which side are they weak? Which side should you push toward? Right. Or if they isolate that side, which side are they going to push toward on you? Try to teach that concept and, or teaching the concept of cross control. Like if you're in half guard, which underhook do you want? You want the kitty corner. You want that cross control and how that concept transfers. If you're turtled and you're having a leg isolation, I want that cross control, um, you know, for that cross wrist, maybe, you know, or something like there, but these are very visual points that I feel like, and very nuanced technical stuff, but you can dummy down when you have the power of a UFC broadcast and a telestrator and a very capable analyst. And I feel like they did really, um, I feel like they were actually growing with that and getting better with that in the Fox era. And then since they've jumped over to ESPN in 2019, um, we really haven't, haven't, haven't seen that. And uh, just one last, one last note before I kick it back to you guys, as far as the misinformation or not misinformation, but things that can bad commentaries that can hurt. Um, that was, that was uh, asked to us by hacks was that, you know, they are trying better to get on the same page about a lot of these things, right? They have the kind of judging criteria training, right? Um, and, and they have these things, but kind of like what, what Fanyo and some, some, some of the other, the rest of you pointed out, if, and not to keep piling on Rogan, but if Rogan is going to continue to be such a powerful presence and continue to not prep anymore, continue to just roll in on fight day, he really kind of sets sets that precedent and counters whatever good that they are in fact doing in that booth because once rogan gets in there it's like the troublemaker in class he influences the rest of the class and all the work you just did is kind of all for naught and let's be honest they're still kind of arguing um as far as criteria and it's like it's okay to not agree with the criteria guys but it's like you need to understand it because it's the criteria the it's the rules whether or right. not and, you agree I, with them is irrelevant basically when and, you're broadcasting. And, 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 Absolutely. And to the point, just to just to give one example without naming names or whatever, forget about the just the general uh, mass population and understanding of the sport you're trying to grow. Right. That's what the UFC is trying to do by having this control is to grow it, ironically enough. But more specifically, you have and I've seen this current slash former UFC fighters training people to get into a cage fight under the same unified criteria. And they're saying things like. Um, they're adjusting and they're like, all the judges care about is damage. But then I'm hearing in the same sentence in the same breath go, and control. And I go, oh, you're almost there. You were so close. And don't get me wrong. If you want to talk from a literal sense, we can put control number one. And in a perfect world, you control someone through minute one through minute five. Well, you really only have to do a couple strikes to technically win a round. But how many rounds in MMA, amateur or pro do we see play out like that, right? So from a literal sense, yes, control is obviously important. But Devastating from criteria, kicks up the asshole and, from rear waist look. <laughs> yeah, 
but 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 that's but that but that's the crazy thing. I mean, this is this is very recent. You know, this example. This is very um, capable people that uh, are fighters that in the UFC or have been to the UFC level. You know what I'm saying? And we hear it from the commentators who are commentating currently in the UFC get it wrong. Like, and so that to me is is the biggest detriment um, going into it. Is not just the understanding or art nerdy analytical you know pet peeves it's it's beyond that it, it really affects the safety um of what these people are going in there you're really doing a disservice to the following generations that are going to try this this this, this godforsaken sport yeah I, I, would... I sometimes i i'm not sure if it's uh for example with dc i'm not sure if he's getting instruction to be more simple with the commentary or if he's deciding to do so because he wants to be more of a personality in the booth I have like a good memory of DC like doing a very a, a very good explanation of how a fighter can transition from a single leg to a high crush lift, and and that's like not super high level, but that's something that uh, a newcomer like won't understand, you know. So and he gave the like the the uh, very good explanation of that and and said about how the finish of the both takedowns were different and the adjustments that you can do, how you can transition. Uh, from the defense from the single leg when when the other fighter puts the weight on top of you and you can transition from a high crush lift and that was like very good i don't i feel like he doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore and i'm not sure if that's uh direction from the higher ups or if that's him um but i feel like they can do that like people will learn and will appreciate the most the the sport more i feel like the the fans like us are like more dedicated like you want this kind of fans like like we are we are the kind of guys that will watch like every important fight no matter what and and that's like that's like in the interest of the ufc right like you want to have like dedicated fans not not only like casuals that tune in when it's like someone well-known fighting and i think you gotta make people interested in the not only did the brand, the UFC is very good about making people fans of their brand, of the Ultimate Fighting Championship and all that bullshit. Uh, but you want to make them like enjoy the enjoy the content, the, the content itself, the fights. And especially in, in this era where where the content is so diluted in a way with all the with the huge roster, with the with the constant fightings, the late replacements. And all of that, you want you really want to people to enjoy fighting, and not only like uh, a name fighting a name. Yeah. And I think, I think a good commentary can can make uh, can can take the the steps in the right direction to make like people like just like okay, these are two dudes fighting. Changing your perspective to okay, there's a lot a lot going on in a fight because once uh. I was only interested about fights, but when I started reading the work of like Jack Slack or or Ryan, that blew my mind. Like the my appreciate my appreciation for the sport was completely changed. Like the way I see fights now and the way I enjoy fights now is like no comparison to to how I watch fights before. And sadly, I uh I have to came to that place from external uh, factors, like researching on the internet, uh, seeing what what other people were talking about MMA. Because sadly, the 
the commentary didn't do that for me. I I I gotta say I did get curious about uh, more techniques and stuff like that. Uh, thanks to the commentary, for example, when when Rogan around like two thousand and an eight or nine, he, st he started talking about angles <laughs> all the time. And, and I never understood from listening to Rowan what the fucking angle was. <laughs> like, and to this day, he sometimes says, like, the punches come from weird angles. That, that makes no fucking sense because the, the term angles has been a thing in, in boxing for, for like a hundred years, I think. <laughs> so, so, yeah, the... I think they need to establish like good terminology, uh, good uh, good chemistry with uh, good roles, and that can really elevate the watching experience. Can make you a lot more interested in the sport as a whole. Um, just um, to just to point out like why I think it's 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 an issue when the when you have the issues we're we're bringing up with the commentary is that. We constantly will see that fans get surprised or and commentary, you know, like they'll be surprised by fighters doing certain things that people who are really studying the sport are specifically saying, these are the types of things that we want the fight, the elite fighters doing, and we want them to be able to, to do these fighters who are coming up you'll have people who scout these prospects and saying like, yeah, this guy's going to be top 10 for within, within five years uh, of their professional career. And they'll, they will be Peter Jan was being, was being touted long before he ever arrived at the UFC. But Joe Rogan is like, Holy shit. Who the fuck is this guy? Like, you know, like a lot of people are like that. And you know what? I, I understand it. Like, if, but because Joe Rogan says, I don't even really watch the sport anymore. He admitted that on a podcast. Like he said, like, I don't, whatever. Like, I'm just a regular fan now. Like I'll watch like the events with friends and whatever it is. But he says, I don't do any tape study for, 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 for the broadcasts. Like, I kind of just go off of memory, whatever the fuck I remember, I remember. And okay. But you're, again, you brought up that he's considered the voice of authority by so many fans. So it actively drags down, you know, the perception of what is considered good in the sport. So I think that's why it's really frustrating. And that's why we see coaches who, you know, recently will be like, wow, like look at what they've been able to do with a lot of these fighters. And we're like, they should be doing with these kinds of things with fighters. So um, yeah, that's, that's why I think it's an issue because I think if it just drags down the general level. Yeah. It all much. just ties into the idea of missed potential. And uh, uh, so to zoom out a little, not to focus on the little examples and, and anecdotal examples too much, uh, to codify exactly what we're talking about here, what causes all these frustrations with the commentary is the fact that they're just not quite doing enough to grow the sport. They want to grow the sport, but the way they do it right now does not allow it to reach the true potential of the sport. The commentary, it doesn't get people excited in the same way that a good commentary booth would excite someone, like the HBO boxing example. You listen to HBO Boxing and their team talk about the match in question and the way they describe it, the way they cover the, the match, it gets you even more excited, it gets you pumped. This something amazing is happening. And they're not doing it in a very in, in the primitive way that the UFC does it. Whenever they uh, uh, promote a fight, whenever they talk about the matchup, it's always the greatest matchup in all of history. 
the best thing to ever happen, to ever grace this earth, the best thing since sliced bread. And then you tune in to watch this fight and it's just kind of, it's okay. Uh, it's uh, it's not like mind blowing. They're doing fairly basic things. And it's it ties back to the point that Ben said, uh, Ben brought up is just lowest standards. It just keeps lowering the standards uh, that the fans have for the sport, and it makes them settle for less. Uh, the UFC is trying to make people pay more for less quality product that they're trying to push out as um, as often as possible. And it's, again, it's an institutional issue. It's the problem with uh, the market conditions in which the sport of MMA is currently forced to operate. It puts a cap on how much the sport can grow. It puts a cap on how much the fans can know about the sport. And because the fans know less about the sport, it allows a greater degree of control to the UFC to control the narratives, to sell people product that may not be objectively up to the standards of quality that they profess to exhibit while the fans themselves kind of eat it up, they keep buying pay-per-views that are top-heavy and are not very interesting when you examine them with a with a clear mind and how the dynamics play into each other. Because the commentary does not get people passionate enough to learn more about the sport, people understand less about the sport. And so the narratives that they sell, the marketing that they sell about the, this matchup uh, at heavyweight between uh, Stipe Miocic and the, the, the number one 10 ranked uh, heavyweight prospect who is simply there because he is 20 years old and not because he's actually beaten anyone, it makes it easier to sell this idea and the fans buy the baby, they watch the fight. And, they, and what we get is maybe like well, maybe like a decent knockout. Like CP Miocic easily knocks out the this guy with a one-one-two. Great, it's okay. But the commentary goes, "What an amazing combination! What an amazing adjustment!" Adding another one before the second one, and then hitting him with the two. What, what a genius! What what what, what levels of uh, MMA mastery? And uh, yeah, this just that's just not the reality and that's what uh, it spirals out uh, it snowballs it seeps into the coaching it seeps into the uh, the way analysts perceive the sport it seeps and uh, most importantly it it um, uh, molds the perception of the sport by fans and that's why we still have to emphasize how uh, important body work is when it's just uh, kind of par for the course in other striking sports. That's why we have to emphasize why having a whizzer is important when someone gets in on the single leg because uh, not a lot of people understand it. It affects coaching. It uh, it affects the fighters. It uh, creates a situation. It feeds the cycle of fighters not quite achieving their potential, getting hurt for no reason. It feeds the cycle of matchmaking because the matchmakers uh, kind of they, they also they may not understand the sport very well. They may be getting all this information about the matchups that they should make from the way from like social media studies uh, run uh, among certain demographics in the fan base. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but that's kind of like the picture I have in my mind when I'm trying to think of uh, come up with a rationale why certain fights happen and certain others don't. And this creates this leads to situations where fighters are like promising prospects are 
constantly forced to make lateral moves, clashing into one another, acquiring tons of damage that they could have spent, could be better. This is ring time, cage time that could be better spent improving uh, the skills of those prospects, getting them cage time, getting them experience, giving them experience with different matchups. And what we have now is sometimes a fighter can go and it can spend an entire career not fighting matchups that would test him. And so he doesn't uh, necessarily feel uh, compelled to develop uh, the skills necessary. And then he runs into a matchup and then you get squashed. And then suddenly you have this narrative. Oh, there's, there was this undefeated guy who won his an entire career undefeated, smashing everybody, got ran over. And now this guy is the greatest or something. And commentary serves this, uh, commentary like feeds this cycle. And it's uh, it's very unfortunate because if you the sport itself could be so much more it could it's so much more interesting if you look past the narrative if, if you look look past who is the best who is the greatest who is the undefeated if the commentary did a better job of conveying why the sport is so exciting the best of the best fighting against uh, other uh, top uh, top fighters in the world without hyperbole by actually trying to convey what is happening and playing to their strengths and trying to convey that passion about the sport, why this is so exciting, why what's happening on the screen is so incredible without trying to label uh, a basic left hook as, a, as like a once in a century knockout. This would give, this would control the expectations of the fans. It, it would give them the realistic perception of the sport and fans would be able to enjoy the sport for what it actually is and not for what is, is being sold to them. And this could get lead to more people becoming as dedicated, uh, uh, more people becoming more dedicated, more interested in martial arts as a, as a hobby, perhaps as a way of life, perhaps as uh, something they use to improve their physical fitness and self-confidence, create a culture around the sport that is more positive, more beneficial to the people, to everyone involved, and. Uh, something that is just uh something this way the sport would be finally be able to kind of break past the popular perception of it as a just a, a horrific barbaric blood sport is what i think so, so you're saying too man there's a chance that it won't bleed to the extent where we'll have this influx of youtube channels that have these crazy massive followings for just saying that dagestanis are hard men and spinning stuff is cool uh, is yes. that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying because of the bleeding down factor? Is yes. that, is, is that why there's these? You just don't understand that it's a part of their cave, caved, cliff dwelling, cave, whatever, mind or whatever the hell they these idiots uh, label it. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted me to kill the podcast, you could have just told me instead of going on this tangent. Bloody hell. <laughs> oh, my God. But uh, I think. Given where we've landed, I, I almost don't think there's too much of a point going to the fifth question here, which was obviously kind of an overview of our alternate commentary process, because I think in a lot of ways we've covered all of these questions. What does, I'm, I'm going to say amateur in, you know, kind of the MMA sense of the term here, amateur commentary lacks compared to official commentary and obviously things that we think we do better, things that the UFC does better. If anyone has some specific comments we to add to that, maybe we could, but I'm almost thinking that might actually be better set up for another panel discussion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
yeah, I think we need to end it. Uh, well, another right. another panel discussion that could be worth uh, getting into is uh, the appeal to authority that has been brought up multiple times throughout the the, uh, the panel. The idea that uh, you have to be a champion in order to understand MMA, or you have to be a Soviet general to understand World War Two. <laughs> By the way, we, we should just quickly explore. say we do have to quickly say everything we're talking about here. Again, we have to reiterate is not. We're not just trying to shit on anybody or any particular fan, any particular commentator. We're doing this because we respect this sport enough that we think that it can be elevated past what it currently is. And we feel that we might have some ways, some criticisms that could help get it there. Yeah, and, and perhaps as a concluding point, I would also note that again, that that quote that you mentioned, Ben, from James Krauss, this isn't a career. This isn't mm -hmm. a mixed martial artists, it is a career, but I, his point is that it's such a small, fragile component of your life that it can't sustain you for the rest of your life unless you make a lot of money and you dodge a lot of health problems. And that ties back into a point that I, I kind of made earlier, which is that there's a lot at stake in mixed martial arts. There's a lot at stake in any high impact sports where grown ass men and women slam against each other in a regular you know, occurrence, right? CT, everything from CTE to a leg break can have permanent and crippling consequences that can change your life. And anybody who's competed knows that. I think we've all had some competition. We've all had some pretty bad injuries associated with competition. Uh, Tell me, quick look, look at Ben at some over of, here. <laughs> yeah, look at Ben over here for some examples today. Yeah, Ben, Ben's barely Sorry. holding up to this, but folks, he's in pain. With all that in mind, uh, we can certainly be sometimes even caustic critics, but certainly, you know, pretty involved critics. And a big part of that comes down to this sport is not a game. And in a social media world of outrage and of commentary where people are often sniping across the board at each other with this assumption that, oh, you disagree with me. I'm a fighter or I'm a trainer, I'm a coach. That means you don't care is a terrible place to end up. We've almost gotten to the meta here, commentary about commentary. But in the end, fighting is not a game, even if it may be a sport. And I think the general consensus of everyone in this panel is that we are trying to take it seriously. We are trying to operate in good faith. And sometimes part of operating in good faith and taking things seriously is to put your hand up and say, we think that the, the trends and the tendencies and the preferences of what you're doing now may actually be causing harm to the sport, the community, or directly or indirectly people's health. So we would just like to make sure that everyone keeps that in mind. And if there's any other concluding thoughts anyone has, please throw them in now before we wrap this up. Just, just lastly, I want to shout out. Oh, Dan, Dan, go first. Dan, go first. Oh, no worries. I was just going to just jump onto that, that, that point on, on my way out here, too, is just to say, uh, yeah, we definitely don't mean to pile on or anything like that. You know, even with uh, all the Rogan examples, there's no denying his place in history. Um, and even personally, through all of our different journeys, depending on when we watched, uh, that he, he's not a part of that. You know what I'm saying? We're not we're not trying to, uh, you know, uh, you know, get anybody canceled here. We're just kind of calling it as we see it for a better kind of cause for multiple reasons. I mean, and I'm sorry, I if we wanted to ahead, cancel him. If we wanted to cancel him, we, we would not focus on his MMA stuff. We would focus on all the rest. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and, and but no, just and just to tie it off again, I'm. I'm uh, 
you know, we've all competed here and suffer some type of things. Uh, I wear these neat glasses, not because I'm a hipster, uh, which you can call me. That's, that's more than fair, but no, uh, you know, is from, from head trauma and I'm, I'm silly and stupid enough to be uh, in a training camp for another fight. I think it's going to be in November ish. So obviously my mind is a bit geared toward that. So that's why my answer, you know, uh, was, w w was in regards to that, because again, we, we all take this very, very seriously. And, you know, um, I, I've got love for uh, people on the commentary team on the UFC booth. Um, and I, so I, I don't mean any negative, but you know, these criticisms are a part of other sports, like we pointed out early in this show. And I think that's kind of a healthy culture uh, to, you know, as long as we're, you know, being valid with these criticisms and, and, and keeping, keeping those objectives in mind. I think we, we covered a lot. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. This was a, was a pleasure. I just want to say um, that there, we should also definitely keep boosting the examples of good commentary that we do see from people like Paul Felder, John Anik, obviously is is the the gold standard for that. Um, we should be aspiring to have more people like that. And then there are some people who you may not even realize are like actually solid analysts. Megan Anderson was an example. Um, people don't realize uh, people who don't watch Invicta don't realize that Julie Kedzie, great great analyst as well. Um, there are some fighters who will be on these random shows. You'll come in and say something, some really insightful things sometimes. So there are plenty of fighters who do have really good perspectives on the sport. And we're not trying to minimize that as well. Um, and the examples that we want should be the ones we put on the pedestals and say, hey, try to aspire to be that. Yeah, the real world is not Plato's Republic. People, people who have uh, certain vocations and pursue certain professions are not automatically like molded into these beings that just basically embody the profession. And sometimes you get really drunk and just want to throw hands in the parking lot. You know, it's the human experience. <laughs> yep. that, that, that's also, by the way, that's why I also wear glasses, just like Dan Tom. <laughs> that, that's the reason. I just got, got drunk once and uh, started throwing hands in the parking lot. <laughs> it happens. All right, I think we're done then. <laughs> this is us signing off. Thank uh, you, Dan. Are there certain shillings that need to be done at the end of this? I wouldn't have a clue what they are. Uh, well, it's just just one. Uh, <laughs> Manscaped, sponsored by Manscaped. We're sponsored by Help Manscaped. Our boy. We're, we're not sponsored by Manscaped, but we're going to try. <laughs> we're going to try. Please give me money we're because I really, really need to escape Putin. <laughs> <Does that. laughs> I'm doing my best. Es right, escape the shackles of these pubes. <laughs> Sorry. Escape, the escape the shackles of putin's pubes but uh we, yes, That's we may have a tweet then. we may have a tweet at the end of the tweet announcement for this that'll give some more information on yep. human situation uh, so yeah. please pay attention to that read carefully and if you can help out that would be greatly appreciated all right we're fucking done